FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 65 of the podcast that goes snick. Snick. That's right, the podcast will now start eating at Ruby's. What? That's where old people go to eat. The podcast is 65. Uh, oh. Senior citizen age. Oh. I was like, where are you going with this? Ruby's? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> we will get some meatloaf. Okay, nothing's better than my meatloaf. The meatloaf's pretty good. Pretty good? Meatloaf. Meatloaf. Double. Or no, I think I said that wrong. Anyway, a little Christmas story. Uh, what? Oh, I thought you were going to say, I would do anything <laughs> for love. But no, I won't I, do uh, that. I won't do that. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm your host, Jason Minimal. And I'm joined once again by the lovely Denise Minimal. Teehee, I'm not Denise Simon anymore. Nope, haven't been for a whole episode. That's old news. Oh, <laughs> nobody cares. Nobody cares. Anyway, uh, episode 65 will, of course, be the first half of November 2013 and all the Wolverine that lies within. That sounds like a movie. The Wolverine Uh, that lies within. (laughs) It is. So, of course, we have a decent amount of stuff to talk about. We will uh, carry on with Killable. Uh, We got some jock for you. We have two number ones. The not-so-surprising surprises of Amazing X-Men number one. And the actually relatively unspoiled for an X book, uh, Marvel Knights X-Men number one. Been kind of an underwhelming amount of press on the comic sites about that book. So actually looking forward to reading that with a pretty blank slate. They did it specifically for you. Yeah. Then of course we have the other books that Wolverine is in. Uh, we'll conclude our little Deadpool arc. And then um, because at Battle of the Atom was not enough of a 50th birthday celebration for the X-Men, we also have a book called X-Men Gold. It's got several stories in it. We'll go over that. I don't know if it'll be any good or not, but we'll find out. All right. Well, all that said, let's get to it. Let's do it. Here we go. Okay. So first up, we have Wolverine number 11, which will be killable. Part 4 of 6. This is written by Paul Cornell. Penciled by Alan Davis. Inked by Matt Farmer. Colors by Matt Hollingsworth. Letters by VC's Corey Pettit. And then of course the cover is by Alan Davis, Mark Farmer, and Jason Keith. And on the cover we have Wolverine and Kenny Pride Plummer. Surrounded by ninjas, or mostly shadow ninjas, and real swords. Yeah, I love how she's got a pipe. Yes. And then... A monkey wrench. Yeah. Don't want to be your monkey wrench. No, all I could think of was... It was Kitty Pride in the mall with the pipe. The lead <laughs> pipe. <laughs> oh, yeah, she doesn't have, like, stuff she got from a store in the mall. She, like, phased into the bathroom... <laughs> In the custodian closet and took stuff out of there. This will work. You, you gotta think there's like a dicks or something, right? She got like a big baseball bat. That's too easy. You know, maybe some golf clubs. But no, she Bow and a, arrow. Yeah, yeah. Katana sword. 
I don't think dicks carries katana swords. <laughs> I could be wrong. I'm sure they carry some sort of like machete. <laughs> I don't think they carry any martial arts weapons and dicks. I'm sure they carry a machete for like the camping or an axe. But still, she could have found something better than a monkey wrench and a piece of pipe. I do concur. But other than that, uh, I think the cover is pretty cool. It's pretty well drawn. And it's kind of a little bit brighter than uh, the covers on well, this series have been. Okay, so I like your cover better than my cover. You always do. I know, but I think it's because mine's like overly saturated. And yours still has a bit of like muted tones to it. Yeah, but it's definitely not as muted as we've no. had in this series. No, but it I definitely just, pops a little more. I like it better. Yeah. But anyway, I think it's a pretty cool cover. Of course, we still have blood spots on the bandage on Wolverine's hand. All right, so when last we left, Kitty Pride and Wolverine were trapped in a, a mall with some uh, rent-a-cops, and the hand had just shown up. So now the hand are attacking them, and we find out that the 13 Ninja is not just a catchy name. Apparently, there are actually 13 Ninjas. Okay, yeah. That work for Sabretooth. Apparently, they all are a specific finger. <laughs> I choose to be the middle finger ninja. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't one of those. There should have been. You know what he should have been? The middle finger ninja is a guy that just stands in the corner with his arms crossed like, F you, I'm not doing ninja stuff today. I think the like, curled... He should be the contrarian ninja with a bad attitude. I think the curled finger was the middle finger. Oh, maybe so. I thought it was weird. I mean, Did they even have the little finger. Why didn't they go with ten of them then? You know, ten fingers, ten ninjas. Well, because why is it thirteen ninjas with and? Because thirteen's an unlucky number. Right, I get that, and I get that there can be a special part of the hand that has fingers. I don't know. I feel like you're mixing your metaphors. No, I think they watched too much Thirteen Ghosts of Scooby Doo. Is that? I know you just assumed some weird title on the Scooby Doo. No, there's a Scooby Doo movie called The Thirteen Ghosts of Scooby Doo. Okay, I will not argue. <laughs> I don't. I don't think anything is in Scooby Doo canon except for the original series. I think it. Was After the original. TV series was over, I quit caring. I'm gonna Google it. Thirteen okay. Ghosts of Scooby Doo and find out when it was done. Right. So basically, we find out, of course, the Thirteen Ninja are Sabretooth's personal elite ninjas. We kind of go through all the different fingers. We have the pointing finger. Ooh. A swordsman so proficient he can wound his target by shaping the air around a narrow mist. What the hell is that? That means you can hit so hard in the sword that even if he misses you, you still feel it, I guess. That was kind of silly. And we have the testing finger. The testing finger? Is that that a real finger? (laughs) It's your index finger. Boink, boink, boink. That was your pointing finger. Oh. Your index finger is your middle finger, right? No. Is it? No, the middle finger is the middle finger. No, this this is your index. Yes. And your pointer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you do have two hands and three extra fingers, so they can duplicate some, I guess. Okay. I actually kind of like this one's powers. Okay, she's ghosts. showing me the picture of the 13 ghosts of Scooby-Doo. Done. Uh, first episode, July 9th, 1985. 85. See, that's after the real Scooby-Doo show. 
Yeah, Daphne does have a weird like '80s haircut. Yeah, doesn't count. <laughs> I don't. That doesn't. That does not exist in my Scooby Doo canon. I'm an elitist. <laughs> anyway, actually, I don't know what the testing finger is, but I like her powers. She has a drunken boxing school ninjutsu that's impossible to predict. It kind of reminds me of a Jackie Chan, the drunken master, but I still thought it was cool. So you have the curled finger, which makes artificial viruses. I'm daggum sick of the viruses in this book. I am we too. Just added I'm some more. over it. Yeah. So she throws pixie dust on the security guard. Toxic Tinkerbell. Yeah. We have the little finger, who's always intangible. What? What? So your little finger's always intangible? I, I guess we all have an extra... See, that's where the 13 fingers come from. You don't know it, and you can't feel it. But we have intangible fingers on the side of our hands. Extra fingers. What? They're, they're intangible and invisible. See, mine's right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waving my fingers in the air. I love how you have to tell people what you're doing. And then Kitty says something weird that I'll come back to in a little bit when it becomes a little more pertinent. But she says... When she's talking about the intangible ninja, she says, I can't disrupt this one. What, what does that mean? We'll get back to it. Okay. Be patient, grasshopper. No patience here. No, this is about ninjas. You must be patient, grasshopper. Anyway, and then there's the thumb. <laughs> I kind of like this guy's power. He just sits back and waits and exer- observes, and uh, then he strikes at the weakest point. So he, he slices Wolverine in the back, and Wolverine says, okay then. I really like that panel. Wolverine kind of hunched over, making a fist and growling. Yeah, but really I wish nice the panel. thumb's power was that he did thumb wars. <laughs> <laughs> and he has to go through the whole protocol, too. Yeah. You gotta like walk up to Wolverine and grab his hand and go, One, two, two three, four, four. I, I declare, declare a thumb war. war. They're like, Oh, shit, adamantium thumbs. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Then Wolverine, he's, he's just got sliced across the back. He's pretty mad. And we get our first snick as he slices through the thumb sword. Then um, they throw throwing stars at Wolverine. Then uh, It looks like he catches them all in the arm. He catches one in the forearm, one in the shoulder, and one scratches across his head. Then a couple more miss. Then there's a big pink fart. <laughs> as all the ninjas teleport away. I think it has uh, bubbles in it. You know, like when you go to those in the fat tub? straws and they ask if you want bubbles and it's tutti fruity. What? Or no, tapioca balls. That's what it is. Have you ever been to fat straws? Nope. Okay, so it's like a smoothie place and okay. they'll ask if you want bubbles in your smoothie and the bubbles are tapioca. I don't want tap- blowing on my straw. <laughs> no, they're tapioca balls. That sounds gross. <laughs> it's gross. Oh, okay. Well, as long as it lives up to what it sounds like. Anyway, that's what it reminds me of. Yeah. Fat straws. Right, so, <laughs> so Wolverine plays off his wounds like they're just scratches. And one of the security guards says, never mind your scratches. I thought they were trying to kill you tonight, but instead they killed Charlie. And we see Charlie's skeleton, partial skeleton, laying on the ground. He's been disintegrated. Yeah, by the virus. But not the uh, not this virus. They point out that it's not the virus from the microverse. They're regular virus viruses. It's just a flesh-eating virus. No biggie. Yes. Yeah. And then Kitty explains who the hand is and who this splinter group of the hand is. 
with a new boss. She's got same as the old boss. She's got entirely too much patience with these cops. I would have been like, dude, you're on your own. And she's like super explanatory this issue. Yes. Like she keeps trying to like explain what's going on. Sir. 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 This reminds me of the nerdy kid in class when the teacher accidentally says something wrong. Excuse me. Right. Then she's just trying to make the security guards feel more comfortable. And she annoyed me is what she did. And then she annoyed them too. I would jack slap her. So basically the cop says, well, if they want Wolverine, why don't we just tell them that we're not involved and we can go? Sounds like a plan. Yeah. Wolverine says, no, they won't let you do that. They know I'll spend energy trying to protect you. Then so the cop gives them more um, anti-mutant sentiment as basically you muties ruin everything. Got Charlie killed. He just came to work to make a living. Right. This makes Wolverine really sad. Aww. They hurt Wolverine. And Kitty uh, steps in and tries to be tactical again, or um, tactful again. Sir, please listen. I know you don't like us. That's cool. A kiosk. We'll go to the front doors. I'll phase out and unlock them, and then we can, we can escape. Wolverine says he's going to keep his claws popped. He'll lose less blood that way. Well, it's got to be painful to pop them in and out. Yes, it does. And Kitty points out the obvious that Wolverine is feeling guilty. So Wolverine basically reveals that um, something kind of interesting and maybe probably we should have caught on to this before, but I didn't. Uh, basically that, um, what was his name, Fiber, the acupuncture guy? Yeah. Like, okay, so why do you go to acupuncture? To stop pain, feel better. Right, kind of reboot right. your nervous, or like your nerve centers, right? Right. So apparently what this guy did is he basically like kind of healed or soothed over Wolverine's injuries that he had sustained to this point and basically made him fresh to hurt all over again and feel pain in like deeper way. Interesting. Yeah, I did think that was actually pretty cool. And he says they found a way. He says, I've lived with pain so long, but damn it, they found a way to make it new. Wolverine starts to apologize. He's still kind of carrying on his pity party from last issue. And the cops complain that something stinks. Like really weird flowers. Of course, Wolverine knows it is. Chrysanthemums. Yes. White. Chrysanthemums. Yeah. Or Shiragiku. Or Shiragiku. I don't know how you say that. He says he can smell it even through the viral shields. He knows the hand wants him to remember the smell of funerals. Yep. So then we go back to the shield helicarrier Perseus with Maria Hill and Nick Fury talking about the host. The host. And then the virus outbreak has started and they gotta I'm, they gotta keep amping up the host's powers. I love how the virus outbreak is going into the water. Well yeah. It's gotta travel. It's just in the air. It's using those cross ocean currents or whatever. Oh, I thought that was like. I also like how people. the virus, how they're showing Shield what's going on, is just people standing around. So basically, Wolverine, or I'm sorry, Nick Fury and Maria Hill argue about like how fast they need to amp stuff up. And Fury was like, "I wanted to wait till Logan got back, try to find a way to heal him, but I know we can't. I hope he's okay." It's so silly. Yeah. Then we go back to the mall. And Kenny tries to phase out the door, but they've set up a some kind of quantum level force field. 
that pushes Kitty back out. Wolverine has to let his claws back in so he can catch her. Uh, whatever happened made her hair turn into, uh, was it Tawny Katane? Is that the <laughs> old 80s video vixen? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So Kitty says, but if they did this, and Wolverine finishes her sentence, says they always knew you were coming. They made sure Fiber told us the opposite. To make us think maybe we can walk in here and get out again. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. Janet. <laughs> it just makes me think of uh, Mama Said Knock You Out by LL Cool J, where he goes, comes out of the breakdown and does that verse, where he just goes, Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> because that's rapping. Yes. No, all I can think of is, Damn it, Janet. Damn it, Bobby. <laughs> anyway, so we get another snicked as Wolverine uh, goes through the door. Yeah, right through it with a big growl. And it looks like um, from this point on, his claws are a little bit thinner by yes. Alan Davis. He hasn't been drawn in quite this um, small, but they get small. So they go through the door and come out it's the a door. It's thing. What? It's a weather thing. <laughs> the water's cold. Yeah. Right? So they go out the door and come back into the same place. Uh-oh. Impossible. They've been drugged. Right. Dun, dun, dun. And then somehow this flower can create shared illusions. Uh-huh. <laughs> shared illusions. So... That means everybody's okay. hallucinating the same thing right. at the same time. Now, Doctor Strange, a magician, can do that. Maybe, and we haven't met all 13 fingers. Maybe there's a magician finger, there's a magic two finger. two middle fingers. <laughs> two magic middle fingers. A magic finger. Every woman's Batteries dream. sold separately. <laughs> Anyway, I don't know if the flowers by themselves can create a mass illusion. And if they can, I don't think that's very good writing. Um, yeah. So they decide they're just going to bust through doors so they can find a way out. They keep coming to the same place over and over again. The police officer gets mad again. Kitty says, sir, please. And he says, you serve me again, you little. And then Wolverine puts his claws up to him and says, next word, go on. Make my day. Punk. Punk. And the guard says, this is what it always comes down to. Us normals get in your way and you kill us. So Kitty jumps in and tells Logan to back off. I love how he calls them normals. Like he calls himself a normal and he has a porn stash. Uh, that's what every normal man has. You come home with a porn stash, we're going to talk. I did, and we didn't talk. Yeah, you shaved it off. I didn't I, need I to say anything. A, I kept it for a month. You kept it for a month. You kept it so you could go to Ethan's school with your Mr. Rogers sweater. <laughs> and that picture's on the fridge, and every time I look at it, I just think you look like a pedophile. <laughs> I looked like a badass 70s guy. <laughs> when you had the walkie-talkie, yeah, around kids. Mm. All right, so Wolverine looks in the mirror, makes a weird face, basically says that he can't trust his senses anymore. His adrenaline's pumping, fight or flight. 
And because he has heightened senses, Kitty comes to the brilliant conclusion that the flower is affecting him more than the rest of them. So not only are they sharing hallucinations, Wolverines seem to be more potent. Yes. Because he has heightened senses. That part makes sense. I mean, if you're going to buy the flower part, it would make sense to take the leap that it would hit Wolverine harder. So Kitty's plan is to find a store to hold themselves up in and defend their ground. And the cops are like, you're going to lock us in him with him? An animal? And Wolverine looks down. Man's got a point. Your Wolverine sounds an awful like, like Clint Eastwood. I'm trying to go, not like go all the way on the cartoon voice, but, you know, between that and Hugh Jackman, I it, don't know. It, so the cartoon voice plus Hugh Jackman equals Clint Eastwood. A watered-down version, sure. Oh, okay. Um, so we get a little history lesson on why the hand dressed like ninjas and why ninja movies dress like ninjas. Because they're copying the hand, and the hand was copying stagehands from the Kabuki Theater. They wear costumes like that that mean, we're not here. And Kenny says, I did not know that, Logan. <laughs> I d- okay. I didn't know that either, so I thought it was really cool that I got a history lesson. But at the same time, I went, what the hell is that for? It's just random. I know. I think Kenny tells him to focus. So I think he's trying to focus on something like outside of this hallucination to try to like keep his mind sharp or whatever. So he's telling an old story. Okay, you rehash your enemies and what they do. You don't rehash why they dress up in pajamas. <laughs> then we get a yell, and Lord Deathstrike has taken one of the security guards hostage. Oh, no. And I like this part because Kitty says, I'll try to get behind him. And then we see a panel that when I read through it at first, I didn't really notice her phasing into the floor. Oh, I noticed it. Yeah, well, that was kind of subtle. It wasn't like super obvious. Wolverine basically says he's bluffing. He's a super assassin. If he wanted you dead, you'd already be dead. And so Lord Deathstrike pulls off the security guard's face. <gasps> I thought that panel looked pretty cool. Yeah. And it's a ninja with a voice box underneath. And this is the tattoo. But he's not a finger. <laughs> no. No. They're now moving on to body parts. I well, guess some, you could have a tattoo on your finger. You can. I know people that have, instead of a wedding ring, they have a ring tattooed around their finger. Do you know how painful that is? Well, I guess if you're used to getting tattoos, probably none of that bothers you too much. Anyway, this, the security guard ninja attacks Wolverine, and Wolverine tells everybody to run. Then Kitty phases through Lord Deathstrike and knocks him out, and they all teleport away. All right, I got a little bit of um, a question mark slash beef here. As far as I'm aware... When Kitty phases through people, it doesn't disrupt them like it says previously or knock them out like it does to Lord Deathstrike here. Now, what Kitty does disrupt when she phases is electronics. Okay. But there's, these people aren't the robot. It's not Techno Ninja. These are just regular ninjas. I wish Techno Ninja was here. But he's not. I, I don't understand her power fully to begin with. Okay, all right. So basically, Kitty can become intangible. She can phase. And if she phases through electronics, basically, for whatever reason, her phasing like short circuits the electronics. Okay, but we also have electrical impulses that run Okay, so us. I was going to say that. So maybe you could say 
But see, in the past, they haven't really made her power do that. Because I remember explicitly one scene in one of the comics where she faces her hand into somebody and basically puts it around her heart and says, basically, she was bluffing, basically says, you know, if you don't surrender, I'm going to make myself solid and squish your heart and kill you. Oh, so she's like the evil queen on Once Upon a Time. Never saw it. The TV show? Nope. That's what the Wicked Queen does. She reaches in, rips out your heart, and squishes it. Uh, I prefer the, the witch doctor from Temple of Doom. Well, that's kind of what she does. That's she... the scene that my dad tried to fast forward through when I was little. <laughs> my dad let us watch it. He was like, there's nothing gross about it. So, um, all right. So, I agree. And I already thought about maybe they're kind of explaining her power or taking her power to a new level. You know, we know more about the body than we did in the 70s. So, you know, yeah. We have electrical impulses, so maybe she can disrupt that. But I suspect, if that's kind of what they're going on here, that she wouldn't be knocking these guys out. She'd be killing them, wouldn't she? Wouldn't they all have an instant heart attack when she phased through them? Well, if she did it with low voltage. (laughs) You're going to say if she did it with the love. (laughs) (laughs) No, if she did it with a low voltage, I can see where it would just... No, but she disrupts energy, so she might be able to maybe... Okay, we're all made up of some sort of energy, so maybe if she can disrupt like your neural synapse and get them to all fire at the same time, you sort of become discombobulated. Like, it doesn't affect... I think the way her power works is it makes electricity unfire. Short, she short-circuits things. Well, maybe she just... So if she causes a break in the electricity or causes it to misfire... Then if that, by that principle, if she phased into somebody, and that's what they're going to go with, which they haven't in the past, but that she's disrupting the synapses, what does that like make your heart stop? I don't know enough about the heart. Okay. Well, I don't either. So. But I think, well, okay, if you just take it to the brain, if your synapses anyway, someone call firing, Mythbusters. Yeah, if your synapses aren't firing in your brain, I could see where it would discombobulate you. Okay. Like you I, would, I, right, your so brain would want to walk and you Cornell. couldn't. Right. Yeah. Okay. And I'm on team... Jason. Team, I don't understand science. <laughs> I don't understand all this modern science you got. I'm just an unfrozen caveman. Okay. So- I made fun of the, the pink fart cloud, but it actually looks cool. It and, still uh, looks like a pink this, fart cloud. This teleporting scene does not look like a fart cloud. No. It actually looks pretty awesome. I thought the one below it with Kitty Pride and Lord Deathstrike looked really awesome too yeah how he's sort of like transparent but slightly pinky yeah yeah thought it was really cool and she's bent over showing off her ass it <laughs> trust me read some 90s comics that could be a lot more gratuitous um <laughs> it's actually not very bad at all i don't think all right she's just standing there looking at lord Dest, right? uh-huh and i love how her costume goes right down her crack <laughs> Yeah. All right. Anyway, I thought this bottom panel was awesome. Got Wolverine all hunched over, growling. He's kind of beat up. That was She's a great all worried panel. about him. Yeah. So it's probably actually my favorite panel in the book. And Wolverine's obviously about to go into a berserker rage. And Kitty tries to calm him down. She says, I've become solid now. I know you won't hurt me. <laughs> she says it with a period, but I'm pretty sure in her mind it's with a question mark. Yeah. And then Wolverine kind of, he snaps back into it, or out of it, I guess. And Kitty says, all right, good, you're back. Come on, help me round everybody up. 
Wolverine looks down says, nope, this is on me. I gotta hunt alone. You round them up. I'll bring the rest to you, and then I'll find the ninjas. And Kitty basically says, they know you're gonna do this. They predicted everything we've done. Wolverine gets real sad and says, I know. And then he walks off. So Kitty says something here at the end that I thought was pretty cool. She says, he tries to narrow down his sense of self, to live within fewer senses, to not keep reaching for a certainty that isn't there. But the fear, the fear he is not admitted to. The fear makes him pant, makes him twitch, makes him want to lash out at thin air. Fight or flight, guilt, final guilt. That picture of Rose in the museum, he remembers that moment with her while he was still alive, before he killed her like he killed. Then we see Wolverine gasp in the window, and we see the reflection of the silver samurai. And he says, Silver Samurai says, do you really think you're still worthy of holding a sword? And we get a last full page splash of him taking a swing at Wolverine. It's a very awkward pose. It is kind of an awkward pose. It looks like Wolverine's neck is about to snap. It's a pretty decent panel, I thought. Silver Samurai looks cool. I did think, I think this is kind of a callback to uh, Japan's Most Wanted, where Wolverine left the sword there. Mm-hmm. And said, like, you have to make a choice. Are you worthy of, of carrying this sword? Right. So I think Silver Samurai is kind of turning those words back on him. No, I agree. So I that like was... that, that they're tying that. It's not the first. Well, really, yeah. This issue and last issue are both kind of tied Japan's Most Wanted into the regular series. Well, and when so I, I read appreciate that, one, that that was my first thought. Yeah. All right. So what do you think of this one overall? Ugh. Really? I I didn't quite go ugh. I don't know. There were It had its ugh moments. I mean, I thought parts of it were cool, but when it was like, you know, the guard gets killed with the virus, ugh. Are we, why can't we be over? Why can't the virus thing be done? And then, yeah. of course, you know, when it flashes back to S.H.I.E.L.D. and they're trying to get the host, it's like, ugh. Are we still doing this? <laughs> yeah. Um, right. And then Kitty Pride being all... Sir, sir, over-explanatory. Right. I mean, honestly, I get why she's trying to be all explanatory. She's trying to keep the peace between everybody. Right. But Particularly because she point, knows the security guard is pushing Wolverine's buttons. Well, I know, but at a certain point, like, she, you have to know if somebody's being that blatant and rude that you have the power and the control because they're scared. Right. So... She needs to harness that and use it to her advantage to get them to do what she needs them to do. Right. I won't lie. I thought it was a little bit of a twist, and I was a little bit surprised because I thought the really abrasive security guard was going to be a ninja. Oh, really? So when it turned out that it was a quiet one. Oh, see, that actually didn't surprise me. Oh. Because the ninjas figured, are always stealthy. Yes, they are, but I also figured, you know, the whole thing is to try to keep Wolverine on edge. And that's why oh, yeah. they're making him... That's why they trapped him with the security guard so he would be... Like, his concentration would be split between fighting the ninjas and protecting the guards. Right. And so if you can also split him even more by having him distracted by, like, this guy kind of poking at him, like, to me that makes sense that he would kind of be with the hand. But See, I think it's kind of smart. The ninjas didn't have to do anything because this other right. guy was being a complete ass. Right. Okay, well, anything else you want to... I thought the art was really good. I thought the colors, and then the one thing you found with the jacket, were also really, really good. I did enjoy um, the art and the colors. So, what are you going to grade this one? It's only going to get a three out of six. 
Okay. I just, it didn't leave me wanting to know what's going to happen next. It was not, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't super exciting. I, I kind of liked the concept of the specialized ninjas. I thought the 13 finger thing still kind of bothers me a little bit in a way that I know it shouldn't. But, um, I thought the art was good enough. Um, I'm going to give it four out of six claws. Hey, cool. Well, um, let's move on. Okay, next up we have Savage Wolverine number Savage. 11. <laughs> you auditioning new sound bites? <laughs> yes. Okay. We're just seeing how they work. All right, you know, throw shit against the wall, see what sticks. Yeah. Yeah. All right. If you like it, like us on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can like us even if you don't like I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah. You had to cut. Okay, so you were supposed to come in and say, Wolverine. No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> All right, so here we have the conclusion to the three-part arc by Jacques. Jacques. Jacques is the writer and the artist. Lee Lafridge is the color artist. Mrs. Corey Petit is an editor. Woohoo! <laughs> and that is all. I don't know you what accent I'm my, doing. I have no idea what that was. You took away my luster, which the way you said B.C.'s <laughs> Corey Pettit. Well, I started off with Jacques kind of French, and then I went into some weird, like... Peppy Le Pew means. Ant person accent or something. like un- Living underground, I don't even know. I don't even know what that was. Peppy right. Le Pew meets the so, ant people. So the cover is also by Jacques. Jacques. Pretty nice cover. Like the colors on it. I don't really know what they're trying to show, but I like the circular, like, kind of James Bondy thing going on here. I think it's the planet, and that's, like, the moon. Oh, okay. I was trying to... See, I thought it was just, like, a little cutout, but then I couldn't figure out why there was a white dot on the bottom. <laughs> but anyway, whatever it is, it looks cool. That's why you have me here. Right. Local artists tell you what they mean. That's right. So we have a little boy inside the circle with Wolverine claws. And his face is in shadow. It's really badass. Yeah, I like this cover quite a bit. Did you see that it looks like yeah. Jacques signed his name? He did. It's, yeah. He always does. Oh, I didn't notice it on uh, the first Yeah, it's one. always scribbled and real thin. Yeah. Like some guys write their name like with thick pencils. He just kind of, I don't know, is super like quick and light. Yeah, but what I love about this is the way he did it. It looks like a part of the design. Yeah. Because the colors kind of, like, they they almost look like little specks on the iPad. Right, they are. There's a little bit of half-tony stuff going on there. Yeah. So it just sort of looks like it was meant to be that way. Yeah. It looks cool. I really enjoyed the covers on this little three-parter. The only weird thing is it looks like the kid farted. I don't understand why this is going up. Those are the tubes that are connected to him. I thought you were talking about the blood splatter. I was like, ah, that's not a fart. He's got something <laughs> wrong. He's shatting out blood. That's not a good sign. (laughs) He needs a colonoscopy. Maybe that's what that is. (laughs) (laughs) This tube goes behind him. We don't see where it goes. Uh Uh-oh. Might be going right up his rectum. SpaghettiOs. Yeah. All right, so remember Wolverine's on a planet in the future after some Earth crisis, and he finds this kid who is probably a little clone of him. And there's bad guys chasing them. Pretty much but they don't know who up, the right? bad guy, the bad guys, the bad guys are. No. 
So Wolverine, we, we start off with a full-page spread of Wolverine looking at a kid in a test tube getting filled with adamantium. Oh, is that what he's getting filled with? That's what with? it looks like. It looks like the Weapon X stuff, or a crude version of it. Oh, okay. All the little rods like, sticking into the to the where the bones would go. I wasn't sure. I really like the opening uh, internal dialogue here. It says, man, I'd say this isn't possible, but it's been that kind of day. Hell, it's been that kind of life. Wolverine's also, not to spoil anything for the rest of the comic, but he looks beat to hell. Well, he got pretty beat up the last two issues. Well, that so. and his dreadlocks and his braids and... Yeah. Th- this is, I had to remind myself, this is the Jamaican Wolverine. <laughs> Definitely the I'm not washing my hair Wolverine. <laughs> but I thought this first panel, first page was pretty awesome looking. Uh, yeah, I like the colors on it. Yeah, I do too, a lot. And I like the mix of like how he's clipped out in white. Yeah. It just, it brought some like roughness. So we see that Wolverine is in the room that last issue ended on, and it's full of all these test tubes. And he's like, what is this place? And he hears the kid coughing, and the, the kid comes in and says, Hogan. And he gets shoved right through with a rod. And the bad guy says, Wolverine. And this he holds the kid up in the out. air like a shish kebab. So is this supposed to be like a Deadpool kind of look-alike? I don't think so, no. Okay. It's just some post- Apocalyptic crisis, crisis, yeah. I do like Wolverine's eyes. Yes. He's, you can tell he's pissed. Yeah. And basically the guy says, great, I don't know how you got here, but it just means you don't have to have these ridiculous cheap copies of you anymore. And he got the kid still hanging on the pole. And he says Wolverine is the missing link to try to restart kind of the human race and make them better, stronger. Of course, using Wolverine's uh, genetic code as a template to kind of re-kickstart repopulation of the humans. So. Oh, did you notice this? What? So in the bottom of that page where, you know, we have Wolverine's nice eyes. Mm -hmm. Yes, and you're about to talk about the kid. We see blood dripping and he's about to pop his claws. You see the claw. Yeah. Right there. Yeah, they're barely just coming out of his hand for the first time. But then the guy, I think, kind of get the impression he's like wiggling the kid around. Because well, the like, kid's like screaming. If anything, he's like shaking while he's talking. It can't be comfortable to have a giant <laughs> no. hole through your abdomen. No, not at all. But um, basically he says that this kid was the only one that survived. But they had to keep trying. And then we get our first snicked, and it's from the kid. And Wolverine was kind of shocked. I think he knew it was coming, but didn't know. I think the surprise, and this is my interpretation, is not that the kid, who he was pretty sure was kind of his little coffee, had claws, but that they were metal. Yeah. I think Wolverine was absolutely shocked to see adamantium claws. But it's a pretty cool snip. And the kid slashes the bad guy across the head, or the guy drops the kid, and he's kind of holding his face in his hands, and we get an awesome panel a Wolverine charging at him with his claws out. I like that panel a lot. Yeah. And then the guy's like, wait, there's more. As Wolverine basically dives across the room at him. Well, and then completely shreds him in Yes, yeah, so we get a nice shuck as he puts both claws. He makes an X with his arms. And kind of cross-stabs the guy in the chest. And then rips out and just completely 
disgustingly obliterates this guy. Yeah. He's- this panel of him just completely almost disintegrating this guy from the waist up really lives up to the savage part of Savage Wolverine. Well, and and he, he still has his snappy comeback because the guy says, wait, there's more of us, we, and he's like, sure. Yeah, <laughs> after he rips him and there's yeah. blood and body parts all over, he's like, sure. Sure, there's more of you. And we see the kid trying to get up. Wolverine tells him to take it easy. And he says, don't worry, I know it hurts, but it'll pass, let it go. And the kid's like, put me down. And he uses his claws to stand up. That's gotta hurt. That is got to hurt. And the kid gets up and he's, he kind of groans. He looks pretty cool. And he goes, huh, no blood. Guess I can heal too, huh? Then I don't know what. We have a close-up of Wolverine's mouth. And I have no idea what it's supposed to imply. I think you it's... can't tell me smiling, grimacing. I think he's grinning. Yeah. Kind of like, yeah, you are just like me. <laughs> right. Like a knowing grin. Right. So Wolverine asks if the kids in the test tubes are his friends that died. And the kids are like, no, they're like the next phase. They're only in stasis. Are they going to be okay? They said if we found you, we'd be okay. And I like Wolverine's reaction. He kind of looks down. He says, you're young. You have a metal skeleton as you grow. And then he kind of trails off. You can see the sadness. You know, I think it's really cool that even as abstract and kind of almost intentionally sloppy as Jock is, how much emotion you can see in his art. Yeah. Like the emotional response of Wolverine, particularly in this issue, is just, it's really almost gut-wrenching at parts. Well, and I think part of it, and this may just be the artist in me, you know, he minimalizes the background. Yes. So much so that you're forced to focus on the characters and their expressions. And so because of that, not only as an artist, he's allowed to, you know, hone in on the emotions of the characters he's not there's no distractions outside of what he wants you to see and feel right i will say he definitely him and luffridge definitely work together on using colors to control the reader's emotional responses yes the colors are very intentional and very emotive all the way through this they are and the kids so anyway the kids like what and wolverine's like nothing kid and the kid's like, what aren't you telling me? Wolverine says, he's got to stop it. And the kid says, wait. And he brings the little... Um, Syringy-looking thing. Yeah, the one, what did you call it last time? Oh, like an EpiPen. Yeah. And he gives it to Logan and says, here, Logan, they said this would save us. Connect it to the mainframe. It will save them all. Wolverine looks at it. And Wolverine says, um, there's no easy fixes. Not for what we got. You can always hear him like, you know, Wolverine kind of always has a lifelong struggle with whether his powers are a gift or a curse. Right. And to be honest, a power like his would be kind of both. Yeah. And depending on kind of where he is, depends on how he looks at it. But he definitely refers to it as a condition. Then he stabs himself with it, and the kid gets all bright-eyed. He's like, Logan? Wolverine collapses and throws up on the ground. He looks very caveman-ish. Yeah, he does. And this art of him, this whole two pages of him stabbing himself and collapsing and obviously vomiting and then coughing up blood. Well, and I, I will say, you know, you had already brought attention to the how intentional the colors are. Right. But I love the intentionality of the fact that... There's a lot of white on these pages. Yes, because it, it, it forces you... It. Yeah, it forces you to, to realize, like, how pure these colors are. Right. 
And so we find out that there wasn't, there wasn't salvation in that test tube. It was poison. Just poison, kid. And Wolverine, I love this panel of him getting up. And Wolverine says, it's really strong, too. Felt like 12 straight bottles of vodka, but I've had worse. <laughs> He's had like 14. <laughs> yeah. And the kid's all upset. He says, but they said it would cure me. Wolverine apologizes. And he tells the kid, what we got isn't a thing you heal from. And the ones that did this to you, they ain't interested in healing. And the kid says, like a kid would, says, that's not fair. And Wolverine just kind of growls and says, no, it's not. And so he asks the kid, are all these kids the same? Metal skeletons and all? And the kid says he was special and he healed, but it still hurts. And then Wolverine not only has a cool line, but the art where the shadow falls over his face kind of yeah. puts him in darkness is, yeah, you get used to it. Well, it's almost like he's reminiscing in his past. Right. Yeah, he went somewhere else. So he walks up, and you can tell he's contemplating, like, putting all these kids out of their misery. All right, so basically, when he wasn't telling the kid, and I guess we should talk about that. It's kind of inferred, but, you know, we're on the podcast. We can spell it out. When Wolverine got his adamantium, he was able to survive because of his healing factor. Right. He was able to survive after because he didn't get it until he was full grown. Oh. So his bones were the size they were going to be in the adamantium encased them. This kid is going, is still going to grow or try to grow, but his bones won't be able to because the adamantium is around them and won't let them. So either the kid will be like in excruciating pain the next time he gets a growth spurt for the rest of his life. Or it'll kill him. Right. Or he'll be just horribly deformed. Or all of the above. And there's no good way for this to end for this kid. Unless he can somehow magically stop growing. Ouch. That's, I think that's why Wolverine gets... You can see the sadness. I think that's why he gets so sad. Right? He sees this kid's future and there's there's no way for it to be good. Right. So he's contemplating putting all the other kids... Out of, out of their misery. He can't kill the kid that's already awake. But maybe he can poison the kids that aren't. You know, they're still in stasis. They don't go to sleep and never wake up. But he's like, no, I can't do it. But the kid grabs it and stabs it in the main frame. We see Wolverine in shock. Then some alarm starts going off. Arunga, 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 like a submarine. <laughs> and the room goes like red light. Um, and the kid says, it had to be done. And if something like that needs to be done to me someday, and Wolverine just kind of looks at him and says, and he, then he looks away. He says, let's just get you somewhere safe. And we find out he gave the kid a name. Then he puts on, uh, and luckily, they had a big kid suit <laughs> for Wolverine to strap on. We figure out the name's kid is Cohen? Cohen? I have Cowan? no idea. I don't know. I'm going to go with Cohen. I like Cohen. Okay. He says, I don't know how long he's got when this planet is always seen. And this messed up situation is all he knows. I need to try and show him that there's more. I've been around too long to try to tell him there's an answer. But in the small things, maybe we can find something. Of course, a reference to the first issue. Where he talks about wanting to go home to the small things. And so the kid says, uh, he said there were more. They're going to come for us, aren't they? Wolverine's again in all shadow says, yep. With the ship, think we can take them? We get a snicked. With, he puts both sets of claws out. The kid does, and he's like, "Yep." They just sit down and wait for it. In the end. 
All right, so what did you think about this one? I loved it. I did too. I thought everything that there was potential of in the first two parts in 9 and 10 was all realized in this issue. Yeah. And I just think, you know, I think what I didn't really, you know, sometimes you, you see a story in the end kind of justifies or makes you look back more fondly on the beginning. Right. And this doesn't really change kind of my feelings about the first two. I feel like they're both great art and okay story. But I feel like this is both. Yes. Like Jock. He nailed it. He nailed it artistically and writing-wise. And it's because it really wasn't about what happened. It was about Wolverine and the kid interacting. Wolverine seeing himself and the kid and wanting to protect him and not being able to. The pain in this issue, like emotionally and physically, is just palpable. Yeah. And honestly, I think, I know, you know, comics now publish everything, kind of what people say, quote unquote, for the trade. It basically means that print schedules and storylines and runs and arcs are scheduled so that they'll make a nice little trade paperback when it's all said and done. Right. So I know three, four issue arcs. Between three, five, most stories are three to five issues now, or not, if not longer. Okay. I personally think the story would have benefited if they combined nine and ten into one issue. I can see that. And then make this, like, just the badass second part. But they did it, and that's okay. I mean, I understand kind of what they were trying to do with the first two, but I guess to me, like, the mystery of finding out who the boy was, it wasn't that much suspense to me, and it didn't really affect me. Seeing him pop his claws and seeing Wolverine interact with interact him. and just the character development between the two of them, and that to me was the payoff. The beat, and there was good action in this book. It didn't even come close to being as heavy or as deep as like the emotional response from the book. I think that's what I enjoyed about it was the emotional the emotional connection that Wolverine makes with the kid. But what's interesting is it's not it's not like he you know he saved the kid or you know from a burning building and that's why they have an emotional connection right they have an emotional connection because Wolverine truly sees himself right in this child right and feels and fears for him yes and and that's that's kind of what I was getting at when I said I wanted when we have a book that's kind of not in continuity you have to have like a big character moment like we got that and honestly i'd be okay if down the line someone did another future story of wolverine and this kid running around well and maybe they get off the planet and go somewhere else maybe they don't like it'd be a good i think it'd actually be a good series if marvel cares what my opinion is (laughs) it can be a set in the future it can be a future we may or may not ever get to and quote-unquote continuity but just wolverine and this kid running around i know they have the same powers so people might think that would get boring but i really think it doesn't have to well and a good writer can can run this out for a while yeah well and the kid is not equal to wolverine no they're not the same person at right all. so that that in and of itself is always interesting you know if you could meet someone who is exactly like you as far as your talent goes and just seeing how different they are personality wise. Yeah. The thing that I loved about this, the way Wolverine completely annihilated the guy, you know, he just, yeah, destroyed him, destroyed him. (laughs) But what was interesting is there wasn't, 
and maybe I'm I'm overanalyzing, but in a lot of the Wolverine comics, before Wolverine goes off and, you know, kills somebody, he's always like, you know, watch it. I'm going to, you know, if you don't stop, whatever you're doing, blah, blah, blah. Like he gives him tons of warning and then he goes berserk on him. And even then he doesn't annihilate them the way that he annihilated this guy. No, this is this is Savage Wolverine being very savage. Yes. And for whatever reason, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I did too. And it wasn't too gory. And part of that is the abstraction of Jock's right. art. Those kind of gory for sure, but it wasn't like over the top. No, but it, it was kind of like not to, just because we talked about it, but it's kind of like Walking Dead gory. Like you just see pieces flying and your imagination is allowed to make up parts. Right. Okay. So what do you want to grade this one? This one's going to get a six out of six. Okay. I'm also going to give Savage Wolverine 11 six out of six claws. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm kind of sad it's over now. I was kind so of, is Jock going to work on the next one? Nope. I don't know no. what he'll do next. No. Uh, the next story but is also by another awesome artist, but a very different artist. We can go from the abstract art of Jock to the much more detailed art of Phil Jimenez. No, I want Jock. I'll try to find out what he's doing next. I'll let you know. Okay. But, um, I, I like Jock. Yeah, I like him too. He's like... Well, I think I think you like Phil Jimenez as well. Okay. And they're very different. Very completely different artists. I but, don't know. Just the first time I... The, the first one we read and Jock was the artist on it, I just immediately fell in love. Right. And I was kind of hoping he wouldn't yeah, leave. Yeah, I saw you tweeting him saying, I just got married, but um, you single? <laughs> <laughs> We're kindred art spirits. Yeah. Okay, so next up we have a treat. It's the beginning of a brand new series here on the podcast that goes snicked. Snicked. We get to start off with the number one. And I'm talking about the amazing X-Men number one. Oh, bummer. No, I got it. Bink. Oh, oh, that's cool. Okay, so they gave her two covers. On the iPad. Yeah, on the iPad. Um, but before we get to that, let's talk about who wrote this book. It is written by Jason Aaron, penciled by Ed McGinnis, inked by Dexter Vines, colors by Marte Gracia, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, and this is The Quest for Nightcrawler, part one of five. And the cover is by McGinnis and Garcia. And what I was saying, or surprised by, is when she first opened up the comic, and just had the front of the cover for her cover. But then she gets a double cover. And when she slides it, she gets the, wrap, the full wraparound cover. So let's talk about this wraparound cover by Ed McGinnis. We have on the front... Nightcrawler swinging and the amazing X-Men down below on a pirate ship. Ahoy, mateys. <laughs> Arg. And then on the back, we have Nightcrawler's foot. <laughs> and we have Captain or Pirate Captain Azazel and some little red bamps. Bamf, bamf. Bamf, bamf. And Nightcrawler has his old school pirate sword drawn. And Azazel has pretty gnarly looking uh, demon swords. Yeah. they. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't want to go anywhere near those. Yeah. Anyway, they're both smiling. 
So they're both happy about the chance to do some swashbuckling. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry, the whole pirate thing. I'll <laughs> save my commentary for later. Right, so what do you think of the cover, though? I thought it was cool. Yeah, I like McGinnis drawing Nightcrawler. I do find it interesting that not all of Nightcrawler is outlined in white. I was just thinking about that, yeah. Yeah, it's only in selective places, which is interesting because Azazel is all outlined in black. Well, yeah, that's normal. Yeah. That's, that's just regular inking. But yeah, but I find it interesting because the contrast between the two. Right. Kind of the angel versus the demon. Yes. Yep. Good versus bad. Good versus bad. Ying versus yang. Yes. All right, so we start off the story, and in case you didn't know... It's explained to us that Nightcrawler's dead. Poor Nightcrawler. Yep. So we get a brief, like, just, this is what Nightcrawler's all about. He's a mutant. He loves adventure. He's religious. He died. Poor Nightcrawler. I did think it was interesting that they um, picked different panels from different times in X-Men history. Like, they use the original panels. Okay, I was going to ask you, because all the art looks different. Very different, yeah. Um, and not just from this page to the next page. Like The top one, I think, is from Excalibur, but don't quote me on that. It could be from X-Men. Okay, so... I don't know what that middle one's from. It looks... The swashbuckling Kind of like Alan panel. Davis, yeah. I was going to say, what, what? why is he a pirate? Like... There, he obviously, loves pirate he stuff. was he's, a pirate. All right, so when he first came around, like his role model was Errol Flynn. Like he, he just part of his character was he really loved like old adventure movies, like pirate stuff, Robin Hood. Gotcha. That's just part of his character. And then we have a, a picture. The religious picture is by Greg Land. I don't remember what that's from exactly. And then we have the shot where he died, uh, drawn by um, David Finch. From Messiah Complex, where he, of course, remember he died protecting hope. All right? So we get a nice pink sky, and then we see a floating island. A utopia. A utopia. And Nightcrawler is there in his white heavenly robes. Sitting on the edge. Yeah. I did think it was interesting, another, I guess, angel comes up, or another occupant of heaven. She says, I've been here for a thousand years and it still takes my breath away. I thought that was a cool line. Yeah. Or at least it would if I still breathe. (laughs) (laughs) And she talks about how it's even more beautiful if you go like further in. And Nightcrawler says, yes, I've heard. But he likes it there on the edge. And she basically wonders like, well, what? What are you missing from Earth so bad that you don't want to be in paradise? And he talks about his faith, that this place is everything he imagined it would be, where he was meant to spend eternity. He knows that. But he feels like there's still something else he has to do, some unfinished business. And then then he he smells smells something. something. Yeah. I love how he goes, bamf, and she says it. Bamf? Yeah, she says, bamf? (laughs) And that was pretty funny. And then some um, pirate monsters from Pirates of Caribbean attack the other angel. They did look an awfully like. And then the guy in the beard, especially. Well, even the big Jeffrey Rush. chubby guy with the bug eyes. He looks like a cross between the two pirates that always hung out together. Oh, yeah. So they kind of look like a cross from each other. And 
This guy actually looks like one of the. Um, so yeah, they. Oh, all... I had the guy in front, kind of a skeletal demon wolf guy. I don't know. He looks cool. But Nightcrawler, we get an awesome kind of panel of him. I love it when he uses his teleporting to fight. Like he just jumps around and kicks and punches, yeah, and teleports cool. all around. And he grabs their swords. And of course, we know he's a good fencer with the swords. And he says, you even brought swords. How very considerate. Let's hope I remember how to use them. And we get a cool panel of Nightcrawler in action. He hits uh, Patrick from SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> Makes his eyes pop out of his head. No, I think he's that way to begin with. Oh, was he? Okay. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. But he does look like Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> so these pirates are very cartoony. And Nightcrawler wants to know what this unholy intrusion is about. And then he smells his own smell, the smell of brimstone, and looks over, and Azazel is here with all his red little bamps. Azazel Sparrow. Oh, yeah, Captain Azazel. Um, he says, hello, son. Lovely place you got yourself here. I hope you don't mind if we burn it to the ground. Bamp, bamp, bamp. Yeah, lots of bamping. Azazel gives a pirate speech about Shanghaiing souls. And the evil Bamps can actually talk. They're like, Bamps, kill. Bamps, eat your face. <laughs> and that was pretty funny. And Nightcrawler affronts his dad. Azazel talks about how daring his new plan is. That no one would think he'd be able to get away with it. And they fight each other, both teleporting. I thought that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. And Azazel calls Nightcrawler the demon who lounges in heaven. If I wasn't so disgusted, I'd laugh. And basically, we get a kind of Star Wars thing where he says, You're my son, and I'm your father. Together, we could have ruled the galaxy. But I do like the line where he says, But I guess all you inherited from me was some powers and a tail. Yeah, that was pretty funny, too. Now, okay, so we're. And he says, Your disagreeable nature you get from your mother, the blue faced witch. So, Nightcrawler's mom is Mystique, right? Yes. Okay. So we get some more cool fighting and some more verbal and physical sparring. But then Azazel goes away. Poof. Bamf. Bamf, bamf. Nightcrawler's there by himself. And Azazel kind of taunts him and says, you can't stop me. You're already dead. And we have Nightcrawler standing there. And he says, this is the story of how he fell from heaven. That's not me completely honest. Really, I jumped. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I do really, really like this panel of him standing in the shadow. Yes. With both swords and you see his eyes. I thought that was really cool. And I like how he's using his tail as a weapon. Yeah, like holding the bath down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was cool too. All right, so then we leave the heavenly realms and come back to Earth to the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning. And Professor Firestar is coming to the school for her the first time. And... <laughs> Turns out they have a danger room for a doorbell. Nice. I was taking a little back. I'd forgotten she was never officially an X-Men. Okay, so I was going to ask you, because okay. they refer to her as an Avenger. Do they? Oh, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she was a Hellion. What's a Hellion? All right, so back when Emma Frost was still a bad guy, kind of transitioning, she was kind of a bad guy, kind of a good guy. Okay. But mostly bad. She had the Hellfire Academy, and she had the Hellions. Kind of like the new, the old version of what we had in our Hellfire saga. Okay. In Wolverine and the X-Men not too long ago. And Firestar was one of her students, but she didn't want to be a bad guy. But she was being manipulated. 
Okay. And, and then she found in the New Warriors, which was a team of like young kids who didn't really know what they were doing, and but they were just a team of superheroes. Okay. And then I guess she went became an Avenger for a little bit, and then now she's finally where she wants to be as an X Men. Now, of course, remember Firestar is interesting because she was actually not first introduced in the comic. She was introduced on the TV show, right? Yes, the Spider, the Amazing, amazing Friends of Spider Man, or whatever. Where her, Bobby, and Peter yes. Parker all lived together, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and they were a team. Did I get hotness points for that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, not Firestar hot. You don't have microwave energy coming off of your skin, but. Oh, that's later. What? <laughs> it was interesting, though, because I guess where I kind of got confused is in the cartoon, her and Bobby were both former X Men that went to hang out with Spider Man. Oh. So I guess I kind of forgotten, and because she was in the X-Men comic book, I forgot she never actually joined the team. But now here she is, being an X-Men. Okay. So she's she's graduated to the, to the mutant big league. She's going to teach at the school. I always wanted to be her when I watched the show. Nice. And she's, she's trying to be cool, and then she's like a brew with glass, or a brood wearing glasses. And Wolverine and Storm are kind of bantering back and forth. Uh, Wolverine says, maybe we should finish this argument in the showers. <laughs> of course, they're kind of a, a thing right now. Okay, but I don't want to glaze over this part because okay. it cracked me up. Because, you know, they're, Storm's getting on it, Wolverine's case because he took the kids to a kung fu marathon. Right. And he's like, you're tense. Maybe you should finish this argument in the showers. And she's like, it's second period. I have ethics class to teach. And he's I'll like, skip the foreplay. Yeah, and then she goes, no, you certainly will not. <laughs> Not like, oh, please. I thought that was pretty funny. And then kind of just ignore Firestar. And um, Iceman uh, is getting relentlessly hit on by a warbird. He's like, I have a girlfriend. And she's like, who is no longer at this school and who now hates you. Well, and then he's like, you should lock your door. It was locked. Locked <laughs> doors don't, don't open after two kicks. <laughs> yeah, I guess she was watching him sweep. Yeah. We have Rachel telepathically yelling at people. Angel kind of trying to be nice. We have Brood trying to chop down a cocoa tree, I guess. Then Northstar comes in. He actually looks very elfish in this picture. He does. In fact, you know who he reminded me of? Huh. Okay, so going back to a the hobbit? Car- No, going uh. back to the cartoons, except when it was... Oh, what show was it? When Superman... Mr. Miskopikowitz? Remember the two kids that like oh, Wonder oh. Twins? Yes, and they had a monkey who went to yes. <laughs> the chimp, super chimp or whatever. Yes. Sorry, that's who it reminded me of. And so Firestar is feeling very alienated. Um, and Beast comes in yelling. He's trying to find the Bamps because they took his coffee maker, right? Isn't that what they yes. took? Yes. Yeah. He, and he names his coffee maker. Oh, yeah. Uh Eleanor. Eleanor, that's right. So he shoots a hole in the wall and he's following the Bamps. I really like the way McGinnis draws the Bamps, by the way. Kind of like Cupid. A cross between Gremlins, Ewoks, and yeah, Cupids. But they find a big, like, portal, a gateway. Uh oh. And they don't know where it goes or why it goes. So we assemble our amazing X Men. It's going to be Beast. Warbird, Angel, Iceman, Storm, Rachel, Wolverine, and Firestar and Northstar. We got a double. We got a two-star rating. What? 
<laughs> Angel looks like he has boobs. Angel does? Yeah. Look at the way he's drawn. It looks like he has boobs. Oh, they're, just, they're pecs. Okay. He needs more testosterone. <laughs> I like how he says, it smells to me like adventure. He's annoying, War- isn't he? Warburn says, it smells like sulfur and rodent excrement in here. <laughs> Can we not simply kill them all and be done with it? Uh, Jason Aaron is uh, riding Angel a little bit hyper. Yeah. Of course, remember, I don't know if you know this. Um, after Angel was killed, his body came back with like a blank slate. So he's kind of got started over. So his mind's really young. So he got a reboot. Yes. Yeah, he got a reboot. And boobs. <laughs> If you say so. The storm says it looks... I like all their different attitudes. Like, Warburn's annoyed. Angel's excited. Iceman's very casual. Like, oh, the bands have been here forever. They he looks like he's checking out Storm. storm. Yeah, he does, kind of. The storm's, like, super serious. This is a breach of security. We have to investigate. With her huge-ass boobs. Right. And her outfit that barely covers her nipples. <laughs> and then Rachel's, like, using her psychic powers... And then Wolverine's like, I knew it. <laughs> I like, I guess Wolverine says, I knew they were, I always knew the little buggers were smarter than they looked. And then North, I love North Star here. He says, they get any smarter, we can make one of them headmaster. <laughs> and then Firestar is very nervous. She so we wants to go get, teach her class. Yeah, we kind of get like a brief summary of everybody's like personality on this one yeah. double page spread. So that, that was cool. The storm says they're going to cancel the school or cancel classes and put the school on lockdown. Then I think we get a nod to the cartoon where uh, Iceman uh, kind of reintroduces himself to Firestar. I think it's kind of an inside joke. Yeah. And of course, also, they dated on the cartoon for a little while. Right. So kind of a nod to that. Uh, Firestar obviously has a crush on Iceman. She thinks that he's looking hot. Her boobs get all perky for him. She's shaking his hand and she won't let go. And Iceman's like, um, you can let go of my hand now. It's melting. And she's like, right, yeah, it certainly is. <laughs> well, okay, so Iceman, is this book, are there two different artists? No. Okay, because Iceman's been changed. Chunky? Well, from the beginning. I think he, Ed McGinnis is going to, I think he can change his form however he wants. Okay, because in this one, he's all spiky. And yes, but I think that's because he's aggressive and annoyed, whereas here he's trying to be more smooth. Uh-huh. And he gets, when he gets surprised by the bamps here in a minute, he can get spiky again. Oh, okay. So I think McGinnis is trying to use the shape of the ice as kind of an emotional representation right. of okay. what Iceman is thinking. Gotcha. Warburg comes up and says, control your hormones, little girl. The man of ice already has a mating partner. Mating partner? Yeah. Will you be my mating Warburn's partner? Warburg's kind of annoying. They started to do some cool stuff with her over in Astonishing before it ended. And Firestar's like, I thought Kitty Pride was gone. And Warburg's like, I was not referring to Kitty Pride. Ooh. <laughs> so Storm wants Beast to keep studying the machine. He says they cut off the power supply. And Northstar's like, why is it glowing? And then, um... Rachel was reading their mind, and he's like, oh, this is bad news. They come from a place where the sky's on fire, and they fear someone red. Ooh. Beast wants everybody to leave, and uh, North Star notices there's a lot more bamps. Bam, and then bam. red bamps jump out of the portal. Bamps, kill, kill, kill. And Iceman's like, red ones? Now there's red ones? I really like their short, grubby little fingers as they pull on Wolverine's face. Yes. Um. We get all kinds of bamps, but they pull Wolverine and 
It's like Firestar through the portal. Well, they're and pulling then when they get... Storm, Iceman, and Firestar. Like, they're pulling them and then... Oh, okay. Like, they go through the portal once, and then Wolverine and Northstar go through the portal. That's Firestar right there. Right, but what I'm... That's, that's a girl's butt. <laughs> I know, but what I'm trying to say is one set goes I guess, through first, I, Yeah, and I guess then they the all go set. different places. I'm kind of, yeah. kind of curious why Firestar doesn't go the same place as Wolverine, but he doesn't, or she doesn't. And then we, I like this bottom panel, the really really cool BAF panel. Yeah. Like the portal makes a BAF, and it poops out uh, Wolverine <laughs> and North Star with a BAF on the other side. BAF. Wolverine's, <laughs> Wolverine's like, that was unpleasant. He just got pooped out. Yeah. He's like, doesn't look like Westchester. Yeah. You think, but he can't reach Rachel telepathically. Uh-oh. And Wolverine can't smell anybody. He says no <laughs> sense at all. No man stink. Right. So North Star's gonna yeah, that's what he says. When North Star's gonna go scout around, he's like, no bug sounds. Can't even see the damn sun. North Star's like, found something, and there's a giant flying pirate ship. And uh they have a megaphone, I guess, or a PA <laughs> system. And uh they're announcing to Wolverine and North Star and they should not continue to stand with their precious blue elf. And Wolverine's like, blue elf? You don't think? And then to be continued. All right, so about Astonishing X-Men. I, I had said when it ended that I knew some of the cast were going to come to this book. Iceman, North Star, and Warbird okay. are going to be on this team. And I had said that I knew Gambit was going somewhere, but I couldn't remember where. And I'm sure most of you have the internet and already figured this out. But just so I can cover my bases, Gambit's going to be in the new X-Factor rewatch. Okay. Which that team actually looks kind of interesting. I may, uh, may check that book out. But yeah, so that's where Gambit's going to be. So just kind of throw that out there. Okay, so what did you think of this book, Denise? So, <laughs> I love the smartassery. Yeah, just kind of Jason Aaron style. I feel like Jason Aaron was in full form this issue. Yeah. And I mean that in a good way. Yeah, no, I, I like the banter between all of them. And I like yes. the smartass. I like the smartass comments. And then I like the things that the way conversations went that you didn't expect them to go. So I thoroughly enjoyed the dialogue. Yeah, I thought the art was also really good. I'm a McGinnis fan, but I thought it was... I liked him and Gracia working together. That was a great team up. And Gracia makes... His colors are really good. He makes a lot of artists look really, really good. So I have an issue with the whole pirate thing. You do? Why is that? I don't want to say I feel like it's overplayed. It is a little bit. But I just kind of... Okay, if you were a head demon in hell would you i don't know if azaz was really a head demon all right whatever he's a minor demon all right if you were a demon from hell would you really dress up as a pirate i think they're trying to show that he has some of the same personality traits as nightcrawler okay as his dad i just felt like it was a hair corny it's a little cheesy but it's fun all right so here's i guess my rebuttal to that okay it fits nightcrawler because he loves like adventure, old timey adventure stories, and it's kind of showing that him and his dad are—they're trying to make them out as opposite sides of the same coin, right? And so it makes sense that Azazo also really loves adventure. He just wants evil adventure, and Nightcrawler wants good adventure. 
a much better evil adventure than pirates. Also, I'm going to say, I usually hate Azazel. Right. I still don't really like that he's Nightcrawler's dad, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I think the idea of him, like, as a demon and trying to lead, like, a pirate raid on heaven is a really interesting idea. Yeah. Like, to plunder heaven and, like, to plunder souls. Like, I don't know. I I think it works on a lot of levels. I I like the idea of let's plunder the souls after they get to heaven. Right. Rather than before they get to heaven. Right. So I like that concept, and I like all of that. I guess the whole pirate thing... they're dressed like pirates. They have three-cornered hats and yeah. swords and say arg and <laughs> I don't know. The pirate thing, I just, yeah, I don't know. Okay. I don't know what the answer would be. I think the answer is pirates. Yeah. And maybe it's because Pirates of the Caribbean have been on late at night, but I just sort of feel like it's overused. All right. That's a fair point. I, just, I think it fits the story, so I feel like it's okay. Okay, but here's the thing. We've seen Azazel in, like, long coats and hoods and whatever. Now he's wearing, like, beaded necklaces and... I think he's playing a character. Okay. That's just my personal opinion. So his minions, he was just like, hey, dude, go get a three-cornered hat and just a (laughs) pair of pants. Yeah. We're going to dress... It's dressed like a pirate day. Yeah, it is. I mean, we'll see how it plays out, but I, I don't know. I think he's just, he's being the he's being the evil Nightcrawler. Oh, well, I guess that's the other thing is, I, I get that Nightcrawler likes Errol Flynn and all these old movies. Right. But I like Harry Potter, but I don't go dressed up as Professor McGonagall to work. Oh, Nightcrawler's not dressed up. No, but I'm Azazel right. is dressed up. He's going to work to collect souls. Is he, or is he coming after his son? Well, right. he says to grab as many souls as they can. Right, which is kind of a, um, a bonus. Well, I feel like this is as much about Nightcrawler himself as the reigning heaven. Like, well, yeah, but how do you know it's not, hey, we're going to reign heaven. My kid's up there. So more than likely, we're going to run into him and we're going to have to deal with him. Right. So what came first? I don't know, but I think it's very possible. And we'll see. And Azazel was kind of taunting Nightcrawler's sensibilities. And possibly toying with him a little bit. Yes, but is he toying with him because he's found him now? Or is it, was the original plan to toy with him? We'll have to wait and see. Okay. So, um, I don't really like Azazel being Nightcrawler's dad. But I thought it worked okay in this issue. Um, I don't like it in theory because I think, and I've said this before, so I'll just make it real, real short. I think if Nightcrawler's a random mutant, it makes his character more compelling and it makes... The idea of being a mutant more interesting because there's no reason for him to look like he looks. Like he really is just a freak of evolution and who He's knows where he came from. blue and has from. a tail. Yeah, it's, it's really freaky. Like to me, if a normal human person has a little blue demon baby, that's a better story than Mystique having a baby that looks kind of like her. And plus it's not as X-Mini. And also, he's really not... I get mutant in the truest sense of the word. I mean, he's a demon hybrid if his dad's a demon. Right. So, and I would rather him just be a straight-up, old-fashioned mutant. mutant. Yeah. Where one day he woke up and he had a little patch of blue and then... Right, yeah. I, just, I think it's more interesting. Plus, I don't know, I think it's just too on the nose. I mean, he was always like, okay, he looks like a demon, but he has a soul of an angel. Like, 
kind of that juxtaposition that that's part of why Nightcrawler is such an amazing character, in my opinion. Well, and I but think then too, when you say, well, here's why he looks at, I don't know. I think well, it just takes some of the gravitas away from him. I think, in a way, if he was, because he's so spiritual, right? That he, if he was a mutant and slowly started to turn blue and grow a tail, you would think his immediate response would be to give up on his faith. Like, why am I changing? Why do I look like this? Right. And so his strong connection to faith, or the the fact that he believes so much in it, is even stronger. Like, it's an amazing right. thing about him. Whereas if he's just born a demon... Well, I guess, I guess the counterpoint to my argument is, if Nightcrawler is half-demon... And still has faith and believes in God. That makes his faith even stronger. Right. Because he should be a demon. I mean, he's got demon blood in him. Like He should be against God. And Yeah, but that's nurture versus nature. Right. So anyway, uh, I guess the gist of it is, most of my reading in this book is blinded by the fact that my fourth favorite character is coming back, finally. You have been pretty excited about this. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked. In fact, I don't know what plane we were on, but some plane you literally let out an expletive because it was a hint that he was coming back. Right. And we were on our way to Aspen. Yeah. Yeah, and he let out an expletive, and it was like, what, what? Nothing, nothing. I'm not going to say anything. You just have to read it. And I read it, and I'm like, who the hell is that? You know who Nightcrawler is. I did. It took me a while, though. Yeah, I mean, they didn't actually show him. He was all in his robe and stuff. But no, but I asked you. Tail. Yeah, I asked you who it was, and you were like, Nightcrawler, and then I didn't realize he was dead. Right. So you had to explain that whole thing to me. Right. So anyway, I knew he was coming back, and I was super excited. And then I saw the story was about Azazel, and my heart kind of sank a little bit. Oh. And I was like, oh, crap. What? Just give me Nightcrawler, not this crap. Yeah, but maybe and that's his I only read... way out of heaven. Right. But then I read this book, and I didn't mind it so much. Actually, this potentially could be Azazel's best story, in my opinion. Uh-oh. Ladies and so, gentlemen. Maybe Jason Aaron can make him cool. I have my doubts, but it's possible. Anything yeah. is possible. Yeah, anything's possible. Okay, well, um, yeah, so obviously I'm excited, and that's going to taint whatever I say, but what's uh, not taint? It's not negative. It's not a negative thing to be excited. It's going to color whatever I say. Push so, you in a certain direction. Yes. So what's your grade? My grade? Hmm. I... I how many claws do you give Amazing X-Men number one? It's going to get a double snick. It's really? It's six out of six. I'm a little surprised. The pirates aggravated me, but yeah. you know what? The smart assery made up for it. <laughs> the character development yes. was really good. Yeah. I will say another thing before, we, before I get my grade. I think this is a very, very strong team. I would agree with, with that. With a cast that I'm really pretty excited about. Uh, you could dump Angel and I still think it'd be strong. Yeah, but as long as he doesn't make Angel too hyper, I think it'll be fine, because I like Angel as a character. Yeah, so. but right now he's on the verge of... Yeah, <laughs> yeah he needs a Prozac. Boing, boing, boing. All right, well, so I am also going to give this a double snit six out of six claws. I'm just, I'm too, I'm too stoked to give this first one anything less. It was really good. I like pretty much everything about it. Even, I even kind of am okay with the Azazel part. So, and that's, that's like a small miracle. <laughs> so, all right, cool. Well, um, 
we can talk about this for another 30 minutes or we can move on. And I say we move on. Moving on. All right. Okay. So next up we have another new number one. Number one. Number one. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. All right. (laughs) (laughs) What makes for very bad podcasting (laughs) is that I just did a little three-dog dance night. Oh, my goodness. Let me put those words in the right order. (laughs) I just did a little three-dog night dance. It was brilliant. But either way, it's it's bad podcasting. (laughs) But it was quite funny. All right, so we have Marvel Knights, X-Men number one, Haunted, one of five. And per my understanding, this is just a miniseries. So like when they do five, it's done? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. All right, so Marvel Knights, of course, uh, this go around. There's been Marvel Knights in the past. They've always been... All right, so the Marvel Knights imprint for... Denise and other maybe new readers is kind of a different, it's not outside the Marvel Universe, but it's kind of a different take on the characters. The first go around, it was all like the street level characters, or if the characters weren't, they were kind of brought down and kind of put into more of a real world, and they're written darker. So this new Marvel Knights, um, I guess, go around. Which so far is Spider-Man, X-Men just came out. And I think Hulk comes out a couple of weeks. Kind of the spin on it this time is, is Marvel char- stories, characters done through a bunch of indie creators. Okay, so all these guys are fairly new to the game. Well, and they're all new to like Marvel, yeah. Okay. So maybe they've done either self-published books or, or books from one of the smaller companies or whatever. Okay. And they're kind of indie type artist. So, our story and art is by Brom Revel. How you would say that? Reveal. No, kidding. Yeah. <laughs> We're in the big reveal at the end of the story. And then the colors are by Christian or Christian, Peter or Pater. I don't even know. <laughs> um, you sound like me now. I apologize because I. I no, I'll, I'll leave my opinion until the end. But I mean, they're both very credible, hardworking people in the industry. So I'll just assume I got their names right because they deserve the dignity of that. And if we got them wrong, just pretend we got them right. Yes. Or, you know, tweet me and tell me how to say your name. And I'll say it right next time. That's right. Yeah. All right. Because I'm sure you're listening. <laughs> yes. Everyone listens to our podcast. Everyone at Marvel we have a direct line to the Marvel office. We have a red phone. <laughs> I was about to say that. <laughs> I was about to say, uh, Joe Quesada, or Quesada picks up the red phone to listen to our podcast. <laughs> he has a red headset. Yeah, red earbuds. That's right. <laughs> With three little claw marks on it. Yeah. To indicate that it's the podcast that goes snicked. That's right. <laughs> All right. And of course... Letter and production, which I'm not even sure what that means in this issue, is by VCs Joe Sabino. Interesting. I find it interesting that that's how they phrased it. Yeah. So I don't know if he helped, like, organize the story, 
or lay out the frames. You know, maybe, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what that means. And I don't know enough about Revel's previous art or work, I mean, to know if this is vastly different. I mean, maybe he doesn't do conventional comic art usually, but I don't know that. So that's well, just me going out on a limb. I'm wondering. His uh, style is very indie, for sure. I'm wondering if production means that, because um, I've been trying to figure out if these are marker or if they're digitally done. If they're marker, then uh, VCs Joe may have scanned them into the computer no. and actually like pieced them together. Who knows? Yeah, it's possible. Anyway, um, the cover is by Brahmin. That's interesting. I don't think Marvel knows which name is his first name and which one's his last name <laughs> on either of them. Because <laughs> according. <laughs> Because if we assume the names are right the first go around and the cover credit, they use one of their first names and one of their last names. <laughs> anyway, so what do you think of this cover? I think it's pretty cool because like a little over half of it is just the Marvel Knight banner and then a big X-Man logo on a black background and it's in gold. And then maybe the top, a little over a third... Yeah, like a... Is the X-Men art. And I won't lie, I just now noticed that uh, Kenny Pride's leg was phasing through Wolverine's leg. I, okay, I didn't so even catch that the first time I read this. When I looked at it, I was like, Wolverine has too many legs. <laughs> <laughs> it's Spider-Wolverine. Yeah. Well, on top of that, I also heard the Charlie's Angels theme song in my head. It's way too, like... Not flashy enough to be Charlie's Angels, but yes, the pose is kind of similar. Yeah. I can see that. I didn't think of that, but I definitely see I can see, see Wolverine. Hello, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, but do you like this cover? Yeah, I thought it was uh, the style of art on the cover is a little bit different than what we've seen. Yes. Yeah, it's a little, a little bit different. We get some indie type guys. From time to time on X books, but yeah, I don't know if we've done one since you've been on the podcast. No, I I did think the cover was cool, um, and I'll save my thoughts on the art on the inside when we get there. Okay, I'm expecting you to like it just based on your um, affinity for Walking Dead, but we'll, uh, we'll see where it goes. So we have a mutant who is not Leech, but looks a lot like Leech, running through the woods, and he's getting hunted and attacked, and he psychically sends out his situation to Rachel, and she wakes up with a big telekinetic nightmare. Right, her room shakes. So the first page when I read this, all I could think of is, Scooby, Scooby-Doo, <laughs> where are you? <laughs> This looks like the little green monster that chases Scooby-Doo around in the intro. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it kind of does. And then this bottom part is very Scooby-Doo-ish. <laughs> in fact, I'll spoil it. I think the whole art on the inside reminds me of Scooby-Doo. The oversaturated colors. Huh. The, um, especially when we get to it later, I'll point out somebody is just, it's psychedelic and yes. it's just very Scooby-Doo to me. Okay. And the way, and uh, 
Not no really offense. what I thought at all. But. No, no offense, but Rachel looks like Daphne. If Daphne and Velma had a love child. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but uh, yes, if you took all the colors out and made it black and white, it is very Walking Dead. It's that same kind of style, that same yeah. school of art. So uh, don't get me wrong, I do like it, but the colors are a little too saturated for me. Okay, fair enough. So the X-Men try to comfort Rachel, and she is wondering like, if she's having flashbacks, because in Days of Future Past, in the alternate future that she comes from, she was initially used with her powers to hunt down other mutants. She was called okay. a hound. And so this is, this is even more traumatic for her because of her history. I wondered what was going on. Yeah, I thought you might, and I... I decided to save all the explanations for on air. <laughs> and I think there's a couple other things you'll probably have questions about too. Yeah, so they decide, they kind of pinpoint where the uh, psychic projection came from. A small town in western Virginia. And not only that, but there's two more mutants in the immediate area. And I thought this part was kind of weird that Rogue is like so like, three mutants? In a Ponoc little town like that? That's impossible. Scooby, Scooby, doo <laughs> where are you? And then Beast actually makes it kind of make sense where he says, well, it is. It's highly unlikely that three new mutants would manifest right so close together. Which that part, like, scientifically actually makes sense a little bit. I mean, no, as few doesn't. mutants as there are right now, the odds of three being right together is against the odds. Okay, I it, guess I'll believe that one. It would make sense if they'd want to pay attention to it at least. Okay. All right. And B says this town is too small to have a newspaper. So we can't look up articles about missing people. But if he goes... Well, no, we, he says it almost has no internet presence at all. Right. Like, <laughs> they don't even have a town website. Right. Yeah, no Wi-Fi, no... You don't get cell coverage There's there. not a Starbucks. <laughs> no, definitely not. Maybe a Dairy Queen. <laughs> definitely a Dairy Queen. <laughs> Possibly a Sonic, but that's going out there. Yeah, they might have a Sonic. Yeah. yeah. Probably a McDonald's. Maybe. On the highway just outside of town. Yeah. Yeah. That's where you go for special occasions. But <laughs> <laughs> then B spreads out his net. I am too. from Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. So he spreads out his net to a 100-mile radius and finds out, oh, there are a bunch of mutants. Or No, there's a bunch of missing people, but they can't confirm that they're the mutants in question. But he can confirm the McDonald's. Yes. At exit 29. Yeah. And then Kitty says, gets on Wolverine's case, we can't jump to conclusions. And Wolverine's like, the hell we can't. Someone's hunting mutants, Kitty. Innocent children. Stay here if you need more evidence, but I got all the proof I need because time's a wasting. And we ain't there to protect the next kid, which I kind of felt like. And see, I thought you would really like this part where you can tell me whether I'm off base or not. Then Wolverine and Kitty were kind of like the two guys in Supernatural in this scene. Yes. Like. They were the Sam and Dean. Right, so I don't remember exactly. Sam's one with the long hair. Yes. Okay. You know, so he's always like, oh, we need to be more cautious and he's do the our logical research. One. And Sam's like, oh, we gotta go bust no, some Dean. shit up. Or Dean, yeah, we gotta go bust some shit up. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of the personality. And then they jump in their car and drive. The mystery and just, machine. 
you say Scooby-Doo, I say Supernatural slash X-Files. Yes. Okay. This did have a slightly supernatural feel to it. Yeah, a little X-Files in there, too. Yeah. So they get out to this small town, and Kitty talks about how it's creepy, like a ghost town. Very supernatural. And Wolverine says it's a lonely place to die. Ruh-roh, Shaggy! <laughs> then Rogue, obligatory uh, Southern girl, talks about how this is what's like home. There are parts in the South like this. They don't want to be interrupted. They don't want to have any government. <laughs> My no, goodness. Nobody's changed opinions in decades, a hundred years or more. The um, South still. What do they call it? There are, and there are parts of the South still like this. <laughs> My parents were actually taught, I'm not kidding, that um, the Civil War and, yes, was the War of Northern Aggression. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry to all my Southern fans, but that's not what it's called. No, it's the Civil War <laughs> and the South lost. Because you were supposed to. Because <laughs> there is some justice in the world. <laughs> all right. And then Wolverine brings up a good point. He says, seclusion doesn't tend to breed tolerance. I actually really like that line. It is a good line. Wherever it applies to. Yeah. I, I, quite honestly, that's one of those things I would want to write down and re- try to remember so I could say it one day and seem cool. <laughs> right? And we, we get in the obligatory while they're talking about all this. Some guy looking out the window like, I don't recognize that car. Right, <laughs> Shaggy. <laughs> all right. So then their uh, Cerebro GPS unit takes them to this biker bar. We're back into Supernatural now. Yeah. All right, so I want to bring up a point because they talk about how before they hunt down the killer, they want to round up the other mutants so they can protect them, keep them safe. Wolverine tells Kitty, worried Cyclops might get to him first. Yeah, so okay. I wondered about that too. So we're definitely putting this at least loosely in continuity. Now there's, I say loosely because there are some questions raised. Right. Like where it would fall. For the point of Marvel Knights and for the point of what this writer's trying to do, I don't think it matters a whole lot, but because we're a podcast, we'll talk about it for just a second. Okay. So it's definitely post-AVX, okay? Okay. Because Cyclops and Wolverine are split up and they're both having different schools. Right. Different teams, okay? I feel like it's got to be pre-Battle of the Atom because Kitty is still at the Jean Grey school. Yeah. And if she's worried about Cyclops. Because after Battle of the Atom, remember, she, she takes the off. new students to Cyclops' school. Right. So at that point, she would be pro-Cyclops. So I feel like it's got to be somewhere in between the two. Yeah. You want to say vaguely, that's the timetable. I would agree with that. So hopefully there won't be anything later to contradict that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So they come up to the uh, biker bar. Oh, and there was another, before we move on from that, there was a really good line where Kitty says, I hate to treat finding these kids like an arms race, but it's true. Anyone we can get to first is someone we can keep from Cyclops. I thought the idea of the arms race was a very interesting way of looking at it. Isn't there a song about an arms race? I don't know. Fallout Boy? Mm, I don't know. So they get to the biker bar and everyone tells Wolverine to calm down. <laughs> um, he says, I'm just going to go cause a distraction. I won't pick a fight. Y'all look for the other mutants. 
This ain't my first rodeo. <laughs> so while Scooby and Shaggy go find a sandwich. Well, then which one's Wolverine? Or is he the guest star? Is it? This is like supernatural meets Scooby-Doo. <laughs> so Dean walks up to the bar. Scooby right. and Shaggy are going to go find a sandwich. He starts asking questions. The locals are not... Um, They're not happy. Wanting him to uh, come to this party. You know, that was kind of weird because they said that before he even says anything. Like he just walks off. And for the most part... He's a townie or an out-of-townie. He is. <laughs> An out-of-towner is the word you're looking for. No, this is backwood small country. He's an out-of-townie. But from initial physical appearance, he basically looks like they do. Yeah. Mean, he's a rough guy. He's got kind of rock and roll hair, big side. We got everyone in this frame has big sideburns. Um, yeah, but okay, you have to understand. He's got the jacket. There's probably a population of like 25 people. Right. I, no, I agree. It, we, we actually see a population of like 366. Okay, so all those people are Facebook friends with each other. They don't have Facebook. There's no internet presence. Oh, that's right. They probably have a paper Facebook. There's a bulletin board at like the (laughs) post office, and they go write their statuses underneath their picture. Yeah. The church directory, there's post-it notes. notes. (laughs) Under each name is a a post-it note nailed to the board, and they write their status, and when they change it, they just rip off the note and write a new one. Billy Bob Joe. Yep. At church, pre-computer Facebook. Mary Lou, I'm gonna I'm gonna copyright that idea. You do that, baby. <laughs> Come in a small town, USA, near you. All right, but then Wolverine does start snooping around and he tosses around. And he's looking for some kids, kind of like the dead one they found in the woods. And of course, the locals take offense to this. They say, "We don't know nothing." And Wolverine says, let me guess, even when you know something, you don't know nothing. The guy's like, you got a death wish? You got bad manners. And Wolverine says, well, I tried. <laughs> and they start a brawl. All right, so we see a girl. I like how the, the music notes in the bar are like music notes and then skull and crossbones. Well, and to let um, you know they're listening bolts. to like rebel music. Yeah, I'm going to pretend it's Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. You do that. Sounds good in my head. It's probably Winter and Skinner. <laughs> so anyway, we see this girl. She she sneaks into a room. I love how she's obviously in a bar with a pool table, but she sneaks into a room with a bed and a bookcase. I'm guessing it's one of those old like, girl roadhouse bars where the, the owner Sleeps or the manager there. has a room at the, at the establishment. With a bed. Yeah. And nudie girl posters. And probably that's probably part of his job is he gets to a live place there? to live. Yeah. What bars do you go to? I've never seen a bar like this, but I've seen them in movies before. Okay. <laughs> so she finds a bag, a Ziploc baggie full of bright multicolored pills. Some guy comes in, he's not very happy. He's going to cut a T into her face. Yep, to represent thief. Kind of like the scarlet letter. And then she goes all psychedelic and uh, apparently uh, takes over his mind or influences him a little bit and says, you didn't come in here to cut me. You came in here to shave yourself. But you couldn't find a razor. Guess you'll have to use that knife. And he literally starts shaving his goatee with the knife. And she says, don't cut yourself. All right, so we see Kitty phasing into the bar. Oh, that's not obvious. Right. 
Um, she said, there's no one in here young enough to be the new mutants except the girls, which just made the whole bar sound a whole lot creepier. <laughs> a bunch of old guys hanging out with teenagers. And we see the girl sneaking out. Kitty spots her, and she, of course, has a guilty conscience, so she immediately starts running. Kitty runs after her, phases through a guy. Again, nothing happens to the guy. Just want to point that out. That's two comics in this episode where we see Kitty phase people that doesn't affect them. Yes, considering she phased through someone. And Wolverine and knocked everybody out. Yes. Yeah. So, anyway, just wanted to point that out. I didn't think that was part of her power, and apparently no one else does either. (laughs) All right? It's only a part of her power when you need it to help the story. All right. So Rogue grabs a girl by her hoodie, but she goes psychedelic again and tells Rogue to drop her. So I guess she's has the power of, like, influence or make, bending people to do what she wants. Changing their... Uh, <laughs> I think Kenny runs in and is like, what the hell, Rogue? <laughs> <laughs> so they decide, well, we got some other mutants. Uh, we'll come back to her. Let's find Wolverine. So our girl calls somebody named Jasper. We found out her name is Crystal. And Jasper tells her he knows they're mutants and don't come home. And he's a sheriff. Deal with oh, them. Yeah. He's in a sheriff truck. So all of a sudden, this whole town looks kind of, uh uh-oh, conspiracy, Twin Peaks. Now we're going to add another show into this. Yeah. But she gets scared, Crystal does, as I can't come home. Then she takes another pill. So I'm wondering what these pills do to her power. Maybe it enhances it? Yeah, I guess so. Or, Or maybe her power hurts and this makes it not hurt. I don't know. Or maybe she can't deal with it, and so this makes her mellow? Well, it makes her psychedelic, that's for sure. Well, they just colored her psychedelic. She's got a bunch of Zs by her head. I'm not 100% sure. Well, first I thought it knocked her out, but then I saw the B at the beginning, so it's just a buzz. So she's buzzed. (laughs) Yeah, she's buzzed. And then she comes to and sees the X-Men have found her. Maybe it just makes her high. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe it, it literally is just ecstasy. I don't know. And makes her high, and that's her way of getting out of her. It's the only way for her not to have to use her power. Anyway, the X-Men find her, and she says, I don't want to be a mutant, starts crying. And Kitty and Rogue try to um, calm her down to make her feel better. And Wolverine, of course, standing in the shadow, like a good uh, interrogator, Creepy. Yeah, says it. He wants to know what happened to the mutants that were killed. And she's like, killed? What do you mean? And Wolverine says, we mean murdered. Let's explain it. (laughs) We'll go into whether it's first degree or second degree later. So they they tell Crystal they just want to help her. She could be in danger. And she's like, murdered? And goes all Z again. And I guess it kind of fades because it looks like she has partial design on her face. With some Z. I have no idea. And so Kitty's like, tell us about your special gift. And she's like, my what? She <laughs> means your power. Yeah, that's what Wolverine says. And she says, I guess you could say that I, I can tell what people are going to do before they do it. I think it's, she's kind of twisting the words on that, isn't she? Yes. And I think she can tell what people are going to do before she can before they do it because she makes them do it. Well, and I think they question her because... Uh, Kitty says, are you a precog so you can tell the future? You mean Some people's, I guess. Mutant? And then they say they're going to go um, get the other mutants 
and then find the bastard that killed that boy. And then go out to these woods, and Crystal gets really scared. Yeah. Uh, Crystal gets really scared. She says, people go into these woods and never come back. Okay, I'm sorry. Wolverine Bad looks like... Bad things happen in these woods. Wolverine looks like a uh, ape man. A little bit. Yeah. So... <laughs> Then, you like my monkey sound? Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> and then Crystal sees a psychedelic ghost of Jasper who t- shushes her. Now I want to know, why has her voice... Okay, I just want to point something out here. Let me double check before I say no, it's it. When she's psychedelic, her voice gets blue. When she's telling people what to do, yes, her voice gets blue. Yeah, when she's using her power. Right. So she, her voice goes blue and she says... Whatever's been killing people, you're going to find it out here. So now, is she informing them, or is she telling them that they need to go deeper into the forest? I I don't know. That's a good question. What do you think? Well, the fact that Jasper says, shh. Right, but is he real? I don't know. That's the question. Is he a mutant? Is he, like, controlling all this? I mean, he's obviously a sheriff. He's not quite on the up and up, at least a little bit, right? Right. And so, uh, interesting. I don't know. And we see other things that make me question whether he's just an hallucination. Like maybe there is something wrong with these woods. Or there's a mutant in these woods doing something. Well, and... That, like, like there's this curse, but there's something mutant-related underneath it. Well, and we get a snippet of weird stuff in the next page where um, yes. they find an old house. They find an old house. And Wolverine thinks he sees something in the woods. Yes, that is Silver Fox. Oh, I didn't know who that was. I I thought you might not. All right, I so, thought it was just Pocahontas. <laughs> and so Silver Fox is an old uh, love interest of Wolverine's that a long time ago, in the past, he lived in a cabin in Canada with her. They had a very simple life. They were very happy. Wolverine often looks at it as one of the happiest times of his life. Then one day on his birthday, Saber Tooth showed up and killed her. Oh, so this is foreshadowing. Possibly. Possibly, yes. And then Sabretooth, every year after that, tried to kill Wolverine on his birthday. So do we that know an this annual is Wolverine's tradition. birthday? We do not know that. Okay. Usually they make a big deal out of it when it is. So probably not, but it could be, I guess. So Wolverine's like 100 and something? 200 and something? <laughs> yeah, he's pretty old. So Sabretooth's been trying to kill him like 200 and something times? Sabretooth's pretty old, too. Yeah. Yeah. So then we go into the cabin in the woods, and there's all this creepy stuff in there. They need WD-40. Yeah, it just needs a good makeover. Someone tried. There's a saw. That's creepy, though. It looks almost like maybe it's a hardware closet, but then maybe it's like a torture chamber because it's all in the hallway. And there's a little kid's tricycle. Yeah, the tricycle. Like a rocking horse. Yeah, it's all weird. Then there's a skull with flies around it. And Wolverine smells something, and we get a nice snip. And he goes into the room at the end of the hall, and it's Sabretooth. Whoa. And he says, you found me. I guess it's time I got you like I did the rest to be continued. I like uh, Rebel Sabretooth. It looks pretty cool. His style lends itself well to Sabretooth. Yeah. All right, so my question is, do you think Sabretooth is behind this? Do you think Sabretooth's even really there? Oh. And I'm wondering... Because he hallucinated and saw Silver Fox. But is he hallucinating? Well, she's dead. Or it's her ghost. 
Okay, or it's a ghost. And then Crystal saw possibly a hallucination of Jasper. So is Sabretooth, like, now that Wolverine's in this house and under the influence, is he being tricked into seeing Sabretooth? Oh, that's a good, uh... Or is Sabretooth really behind this and he's hunting down little kids? <laughs> Which seems a little bit against his MO right now, what with the whole hand thing. He's on vacation. Seems a little bit. You know, that wouldn't be a. Sabertooth's vacation would involve just random murder. So, yeah, maybe so. He's taking a break to go kill some things. I can just see it. He's sitting in his Japan office, calls in his secretary. I'm going to take a week off. I'm going to go to Podunkville, USA. And slaughter me some hillbillies. Yeah, slaughter me a couple of mutants, maybe some hillbillies. Uh, I'll be back in a. Oh, five or six days. Can you make sure those TPS reports are on my desk? (laughs) (laughs) And don't touch the red stapler. Right. right. So what did you think? It's funny because uh, the first couple of pages, once I had Scooby-Doo in my head, I couldn't not have Scooby-Doo in my head. But overall, I did. I really liked the art. My only issue is I thought some of the colors were oversaturated a little. Okay, it didn't bother me too much, but... Well, and it, I say it like it sounds like it's bugging the crap out of me, but it's not. Like, I just kind of wish... I get they're I trying to depends. invoke an emotion with her, and so right. using the psychedelic colors kind of helps, maybe to explain that she's high or whatever the case may be, but I don't know. The color, I just wasn't digging the colors. I guess the only question I would have, because I thought the colors looked fine, I'm wondering if they don't detract a little bit from the tone of what the story's trying to be. Because they are a little bright for like this dark, kind of hard-boiled mystery. Yeah. Well, and I think that's also the beauty. I know a lot. Black and white would have been sweet. Though I do like the psychedelic coloring a lot. So that wouldn't have worked in black and white. But maybe a really muted palette Yeah. would have made the the whole thing feel a little creepier. Yeah. And I guess to me, the color kind of distracts from the creepiness. Yeah. It even takes away a little bit of the suspense. Well, and I won't lie. Like, I guess there were rumors that Walking Dead was going to do a color issue. Isn't that what you told me? Did I? Yeah. I don't remember. Anyway, so that we're not going to say whether it was confirmed or not, but there was a possible rumor that the Walking Dead comic would come out. They'd have a one color whatever issue and i actually was like no (laughs) you can have a beautifully drawn comic and if you don't color it right you just screwed it up yeah and i guess that's kind of how i feel about this one is it's a beautifully drawn comic i just the oversaturated bright psychedelic colors just don't i don't know i'm just not digging it okay I feel like they kind of messed it up. It's not bad. It's just not good either. I I think the last page looks pretty nice. Yeah, the last Um, page looks nice. It's the, again, it's the like, okay, here's a great example. So Wolverine's walking through the house and all the creepy sounds are in yellow on a very muted color palette. But if those had been like a dark letter with maybe like an outline of the, a thin yellow outline... That would have made it creepy. I, I don't know. I can't yeah. put my finger on it exactly. Well, how, um, what do you think about the mystery? Are you, are you enticed? Are you ready? Are you looking forward to issue number two? You I'm wanna, intrigued. Yeah. I'm definitely interested. I'm not like salivating 
No, I'm not going to count down the days to when the next one comes out. Yeah, but I'm, but I'm definitely curious. Yeah. I want to know, like, what's behind all this. You know, the sheriff being involved definitely kind of raises the stakes a little bit. Yes. So, yeah. All right. So what are you going to grade Marvel Knights X-Men number one? Um, I'm going to give it a four out of six. Okay. I'm I think the story's good. I think the art's good. I'm just not into the colors. I'm a little bit more um, forgiving of the colors than you, but um, I'm also going to give Marvel Knights X-Men number one, four out of six claws. Okay, so next up we have X-Men Gold number one, which is a um, 50th anniversary celebration of the X-Men. Basically, it's a little anthology of different stories from different time periods in the X-Men's history. I'll kind of do the credits Per story. Alright, so the cover is by Oliver Coppell. And it's really cool. It basically has kind of the Xavier School and a pile of rubble. And X-Men from different time periods on top of it. We have Days of Future Past Wolverine. Which of course, we should be getting to Days of Future Past on the flashback episodes. Probably early next year sometime. So getting close. This is like early 2000s storm. And then we have X Factor Days, Angel, 90s Jean Grey, Bishop from when he had his own series in the future, uh, Gambit from around the time, I guess early 90s Gambit, and then Jean Grey is late 90s. Uh, we have late 80s Shadow Cat, and I think that's when she had the blue suit with the. Blue Robin mask and like the big sashes, right? And we have original X-Men Cyclops. And then we have just Young Jubilee blowing a bubble. Anyway, it's a really nice cover. I like Coppell's version of these characters quite a bit. All right, so our first story is by Chris Claremont and Bob McLeod. Or McLeod? I've heard it different ways. And it's basically Kitty Pride writing in her journal. She's supposed to be doing homework. And she talks about this mission they went on that took place sometime in the mid-80s, shortly after Rogue joined the X-Men. Basically, she's talking about how she feels bad for Wolverine and Lady Mariko that with the wedding in Japan. So they're fresh off of that story. And then they get an alert, and they got to go to China. I got to say, I remember liking McCloud stuff in the past. I Kitty looks really good in this little story, and everybody else, not so much. It's not horrible, it's just kind of, I don't know. Wolverine particularly looks very strangely proportioned. I don't know. Uh, It's just kind of an okay story. They go to China, there's a giant sentinel, and they kind of fight it and break it open, only to realize that this giant, like, skyscraper-sized sentinel is actually a moving Sentinel factory. And then that part was actually pretty cool and should probably have been saved for a current story instead of like a little flashback because that can be something that they could really do something with now. So good idea by Claremont. If that's been done before, I know we had Master Mold who like made Sentinels, but I don't think he made them like inside of himself. And they literally like break open the arms and the legs and little tiny Sentinels crawl out. Oh, that was really cool. It was good to see Wolverine in the yellow and brown, but a better artist would have made it better. <laughs> yeah, they beat him. I will say, you know, we talked earlier about whether Kitty knocked people out when she phases through people. Well, she literally jumps inside of Wolverine. 
So the way they beat the Sentinel, Lockheed breathes fire on Colossus and heats him up. Colossus holds Wolverine and spins him around and heats him up till his claws get really hot. But Kitty's inside him. Intangible trying to help dissipate the heat somehow. I don't really know why Kitty's in there. I guess Wolverine gets super hot claws and cuts the Sentinel and Kitty phases through him somehow to make the electronics disrupt. I don't really understand why they had to do this or what's actually going on. There is one panel of like Ghost Kitty inside Wolverine and now it's kind of cool. Yeah, that's about it. And they all celebrate. Scott makes out with Madeline Pryor. And we get a touching, slightly touching scene at the end. Kitty comes up to Wolverine and they're on the star jammer and they're looking out in space. And Kitty, talking about the, the wedding, says, you okay? And Wolverine says, I'll survive. Kitty says, I know you will. And Wolverine says, you did good against the robots. And she says, just follow your know, lead, old man. For as long as you need it, I'll be here to watch your back. And she grabs his hand. And he says, tough girl, huh? She's like, you betcha. Right? So that story wasn't bad. It was kind of okay. Had a couple of good ideas. I really liked the Sentinel thing. And that was really cool. Alright, so our next story is A Sorrow Beneath the Sport. It is stunningly scripted by Stan Lee. Perfectly plotted by Louise Simonson. Painstakingly penciled by Walter Simonson. Ingenuously inked by Bob Wyacek. And cunningly colored by Andre Mosa. Listlessly lettered by Tom Orzachowski. So Stan's still taking a dump on the letter. <laughs> uh, Simonson's art is always fun to see. All right, so we have like an old school, like original X-Men back in the real time, not like all new X-Men. And they're racing to the danger room because Jean said whoever gets there first can go on a date with her. We have classic Stan Lee um, dialogue and action. Very, very Stan Lee-ish. It's a fun little story, but basically it ends up the Cyclops shoots them all with his optic blast because Professor X told him to because he didn't want them taking the danger room so lightly. It needs to be more serious. We get a classic, like, 60s Cyclops says, My power is far too dangerous. I must never let the girl I love get too close to me. The Marvel girl says, I can sense his anguish. I'd move heaven and earth to ease his pain, for only then would I ease mine as well. I just the classic, like, uh, whiny Cyclops and Marvel Girl from the 60s. That was a fun little story. It was pretty cool. Alright, so then we have a story by Roy Thomas and penciled by Pat Olive. Olive, not sure. And Chris Sotomayor does the digital inks and colors. And this story is set in the 70s, right before Giant Size number one, as Banshee and Sunfire kind of have a scuffle but then they realize they both want to go to Sun Records because they're in Memphis and they decide they're really good friends and have a lot in common and then they go to Graceland and that's it. That was alright. It was kind of a, a neat little story. So we have Options written by, written by Lynn Ween Art by Jorge Molina and Letters by Tom Orzachowski and it's basically the scene from Giant Size Number 1 when Professor gathers everybody at the mansion and it's from Wolverine's perspective, and basically he's wondering if he did the right thing. And Professor X says something about their mission, they're going to find the old X-Men, and they need, to be, they need to be prepared for anything, possibly even fighting the old X-Men. Wolverine's like, good point. How would I take all these guys down? He kind of has a checklist. He looks at Banshee, determines his power, and we see like a, 
imaginary scene and Wolverine slicing Banshee's throat to neutralize him and kill him. (laughs) Neutralize him permanently. And we see him stabbing Cyclops in the eyes. Then we see how Thunderbird kind of scratching his head. And it's funny, he describes Thunderbird, he says, he's basically me without all the cool powers, which made me laugh. I actually took a little picture of it, texted it to Cameron, because our whole thing with Thunderbird is that he was kind of strong. That was his mutant power. Basically, says that Wolverine says he's uh, hot-tempered like Wolverine, but with none of the experience, he'd come at Wolverine hard, and that's how he'd go down. And he talks about Colossus. Uh, he's very formidable, but still versus adamantium is no contest. We see Colossus slumped on the ground. Then we get, all those are kind of cool, or, I mean, I guess, like, the idea of Wolverine making the little checklist. This thing with Sunfire, not really buying. Basically, he says he would use his adamantium claws at exactly the right angle to reflect Sunfire's Sunfire back at him, which I would think he would be immune to his own blast, A, and B, I think in trying to reflect it, he would just get burnt to a crisp. So I think Wolverine's plan is a little bit of an epic fail against Sunfire. Uh, Nightcrawler, he talks about how he'd be really tough with the teleporting. But they do this thing that they talked about in the 70s from time to time, where right before he teleports to a place, you have the, the, the sulfur smell when he leaves, but also apparently right before he arrives, so Wolverine would smell it and put his claws out, and Nightcrawler would basically teleport onto his claws and die. Then Wolverine lights up a cigar. Of course, at this point, back in the comics, he was still smoking cigarettes. He hadn't moved on to cigars yet. And then Storm makes a little rain cloud, like a little like from Looney Tunes, and puts out his uh, match before he can light it and ruins the cigar, and Wolverine gets mad. I kind of like this, because he thinks about Storm and says, that Wolverine would electrocute him with their lightning, hold him back with hurricane winds, and pummel him with hail. No, it won't be easy. And then Professor X interrupts him and says, Penny for your thoughts, Wolverine. And Wolverine says, Don't you already know? And Professor X explains that he never mind rapes anybody. <laughs> and he only reads your mind consensually. And Wolverine smiles and says, Not much, just considering my options. The end. And he smiles. Um, I thought it was kind of cool that he never actually shows a way to beat Storm. I think that would be an awesome fight if they ever really... I don't think they have before, but whatever. So that part, I thought that was a neat little story. Um, you know, that Wolverine, I don't think he would want to, but he, you know, he would have a contingency plan for the, his teammates, I think, in case anything went awry in the field. I think nowadays he would still have the same. As much as X-Men get mind-controlled, I think he would know... How to take everybody out. <laughs> so I thought that was a pretty cool little story. All right, so then we have Dreams Brighton, written by Fabian Nicieza, art by Salvador LaRocca, letters by Tom Orzachowski, and colors by David Ocampo. And we see some kind of like alternate future where Professor X and Magneto are rulers of the world, but in a nice way. And we see a statue of the original X-Men and the original Brotherhood of Evil Mutants in rem- remembrance of them. And then they're giving a speech, but Magneto starts to collapse, and he's for some reason, starts pulling Wolverine's adamantium out. Hmm. And Wolverine, or Professor X, basically, we switch scenes, and we switch to the, uh, the time, I think, in the comics, 
where is that? Around Wolverine 75 and X-Men 100 and something? Maybe 125? I don't remember. Yeah, maybe 50. Because they were behind Wolverine in the 90s X-Men series. Um, anyway, to where Magneto actually does... I think those Fatal Attractions was the name of the storyline, right? And the little, holog- the little holograms on the cover. Anyway, where Magneto rips out Wolverine's adamantium. And Professor X had to shut his mind down. Uh, Magneto's, that is. And of course, I guess basically we're, we're getting insight, a little interlude to that story, where I guess while he was destroying Magneto's mind, he tried to give him a vision of this euphoric future that Magneto would like, where he, where him and Xavier were still friends and on top of the world. And he talks about how, he, in the name of peace, he committed a barbaric act. And through the guilt, he can only wonder what price will they all have to pay for, for the decision he made this day. And you can hear silently the fading of a dream. And then it kind of zooms out and you see the shadow of Onslaught. Of course, we know that all this leads to Onslaught. And then we have previews of Amazing X-Men number one and all new X-Men number 18, which we've already talked about on the podcast. <laughs> so, so, yeah, overall, these stories were pretty decent. Nothing spectacular, but fun one to read overall. I'm going to give the whole thing... Three out of six claws for X-Men Gold. It was it was worth reading. I was honestly afraid when I first went through it, I was going to regret buying it. I was going to have some buyer's remorse, especially because this bad boy was six bucks. I mean, it's a lot of pages, but considering like a good 30% of that is previews from comics I already bought. Or maybe not, maybe 25%. Anyway, it's too much. <laughs> yeah, it was all right. It wasn't bad. Neat little inconsequential stories. So, yeah, X-Men Go number one, three out of six claws. Okay, so last but not least, we have Where's Logan? And once again for this episode, Logan is in Deadpool, this time number 19. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, five of five. This is written by Brian Posehn and Gary Dugan. Art by Declan Shalvey. Colors by Jordi Belair. Letters by V.C. Joe Sabino and Shalvi and Belair do the cover, which on this case is Deadpool floating in black space. And he's got tombs coming out of his back, hooked up to different monitors with different Marvel characters on them. Sorry, something in my hands is ruining my comic book. It never happened before. It's very bizarre. Okay. Well, this issue is not the most valuable issue ever. <laughs> Alright, so where we are in this story is that Deadpool has realized that this guy, Butler, has been harvesting his organs to try to save his sister. He also took Captain America and Wolverine hostage. They went to North Korea, where they busted out some um, mutated X-Men people. Anyway, go go listen to old episodes and read the issues. (laughs) Where we are now is we get a flashback of Deadpool trying to leave some kind of hospital room. I don't know if this is... The Weapon Plus, or some of the other places they talk about in this issue. We go to the present, we get a snicked. Uh, Butler had retreated with his sister into a secure bunker, and Captain America and Wolverine and Deadpool need to get in. Deadpool wants to get in because um, he found out that he had a daughter with a girl he knew once, it says. (laughs) And Butler had them killed, and he wants revenge. Captain America and Wolverine want to get in because they know Butler has their genetic samples and they need to destroy them. So Cap says he's going to go topside. Deadpool gives them a hard time. Wolverine tells him to quit being a bitch that 
Captain America is not going upside to, so he won't get his hands dirty. He's going to fight the whole North Korean army. And so he won't have to lie about what we have to do down here. So Wolverine basically claws his way into a hallway. And he's going to find explosives and blow everything up. And Deadpool says, basically talks to uh, Butler. And Butler opens the door and he walks in. And we see Wolverine growling through the hallways. He's <laughs> cutting up the, the walls and the floors he goes. And then we see butlers in a giant panic room. Looks kind of like the room in the Avengers movie where they keep Loki. So he talks about all the different stuff. He's got modified lasers with a virus load. On the walkway that Deadpool's on, there's magnets. And a butler says, you've never been inside a panic room until you've panicked in a Weapon Plus station. And Deadpool's like, is that where we are? He's like, no, Weapon Plus is no more, but we still use the stuff. (laughs) Wolverine gets down there and he runs up and he's like, Damn it, there's magnets. Of course, he's all metal, so he yeah, gets pretty slow there. But he tells Deadpool that uh, if you're going to try to kill this guy, do it, because I'm going to blow it all up. Uh, Deadpool's like, oh, I can't. I'm just going to talk. You can get back to work. So he asks Butler if it's really true that he has a kid. And Butler says, yes. And Deadpool says, why are you messing with them? He says, you want to cooperate. And we go through some of Deadpool's like past memories. Basically says that everything's a mess. I guess he went into some hospice after Weapon Plus. And that guy, the doctor there, was a bad guy too. Then he says he cooperated with Butler for a while, but then he didn't. And Butler barely escaped, and he took Deadpool's baby mama and daughter as collateral. And that's about it. Uh, he talks about how confusing his past is. Butler says it is confusing. And Butler kind of yells at him. Then we go outside, and Captain America's just standing there in a pose with his shield behind his back, looking very authoritative. And the North Korean army is just kind of staring at him. And they're like, what if that giant green monster and robot man is with him? And one of the guys says, surely they are just propaganda? (laughs) And he says, I hope they are conquering the entire country. He's like, quiet, I don't feel like getting executed today. So some North Korean humor, I guess. And Butler lectures Deadpool, and Deadpool lectures him back. Uh, Butler says he has no belief system, no, he's incomplete, no moral compass. And Deadpool's like, no, that's not true, but you are right, and I don't have a life because of you. And I don't believe you have the right. And he lays his swords on the ground and kneels before the door. He says, I believe no one should spend their life in a tube for someone else's benefit. I believe I would have helped you help your sister if that were your only goal, but you kept making killers. Um, and Butler's like, what are you talking about? And Deadpool's like, I'm not talking to you. And we see his sister had a... Zombie walks over to the wall and hit the open door button. Deadpool slides in, and his sister's like, How many times have I died? And Butler reaches for the button, but Deadpool grabs his arm and gives him a nice compound fracture in the forearm. Pretty gruesome looking. Deadpool still talks about how confused he is. Um, Then he starts choking Butler. The shield agent inside his head tells him not to, but he breaks Butler's neck. Then he spits on Butler's dead head. Butler's sister says that she's awake and feels for the first time in her life. She didn't ask for this. She just wants to die in peace. So Deadpool helps her back to the bed and puts her in there. The shield agent says they need evidence. So he gets some genetic swab from the inside of Butler's cheek and his glasses. Wolverine comes in and says, it's about to blow. Let's get out of here. You and the girl. Deadpool's like, no, she wants to stay. And he comes out to Captain America and says, I couldn't take Butler alive. I mean, I could have, but... <laughs> and Captain America looks at Wolverine and says, this situation is completely tied off. Wolverine's like, yep, it's done. 
And Deadpool pulls Wolverine aside and says, you searched everywhere. And Wolverine's like, yeah, there's nobody down there. Like, AKA, I cannot find your daughter. So then the three of them charge at the troops, but then the troops separate like the Dead Sea. And they walk through and Deadpool starts preaching American at them. Talking about how you ever do anything like this again, I'll come back and blow up your country, blah, blah, blah. Captain America says, you don't know when to quit, do you? And grabs Deadpool by the neck. And 96 hours later in Tokyo, we get some nice little, um, sincere Deadpool for a nice little change-up. He says, those girls, this awful feeling, it goes away, right? And Wolverine says, nope. Deadpool says, that's not fair. Then Cap chimes in, no, it's not. I recently lost someone, and not a day goes by that I don't feel it in my gut. I know I have to tell you about it sometime. I'm deeply sorry for your loss, my friend. I have faith that you'll find a way to carry this burden. Don't let what's happened to you be an excuse for cynicism. You're a great soldier, and the world needs men like us. Deadpool's like, thanks, Cap. <laughs> Wolverine says, I ain't got the words, Wade. Look me up stateside, and we can grab a beer. And Deadpool's like, I think I would like that. And then the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent in his head says, Wow, superhero night. Superhero guys nights has a lot of feelings. And Deadpool's like, too many. I'd be damned if I was going to cry a second time in front of Logan and Captain freaking America. And then Deadpool walks off. And then we go, meanwhile, in New York, and a former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent is selling weapons. And the arms dealer says, ain't you going to count the money? And she says, you better have counted it correctly. You're even a dollar short. I'll be back. And it will it will be with to put you in these duffel bags. Talking tough. Another funny letters page. Yeah. So that was a pretty nice little conclusion to a pretty nice little story. Art was really good again. Enjoyed it. As confusing as Deadpool's past is, it's like, oh, I don't read him religiously, so I'm a little confused on his past myself, but this didn't help. So that part was kind of weird. Um, I like, I don't know. That was just a good conclusion to a good story. I'm going to give Deadpool number 19 four out of six claws. And that concludes Where's Logan? Okay, so that's going to do it for episode 65. 65. Yep, in the books, in the can. Done. All right, so let's talk about a little bit of other stuff, some Wolverine news. Uh-oh. Okay, so been a couple of announcements Wolverine-related. This is like extra spoilery stuff. So if you don't want to hear this. Turn it off. Yeah, turn it off. Go like our Facebook page. That's the most important plug. Yeah. And then turn us off. So some extra spoilery stuff. That we'll definitely give away some stuff. And I guess I should make sure you want to hear this. Um, Go for it. All right. So Wolverine, the regular series, is being... It's It's not being canceled. It's being stopped. We're going to get a new number one. Okay, so that's the one with the um, microverse? Yes. Thank goodness. Well, it's the same guy. It's going to be Paul Cornell and the first artist. And he'll probably stay with it for a while. He's one of the more consistent guys schedule-wise. will be uh, Ryan Stegman, uh, who's been doing, of note, Superior Spider-Man, which I cannot say how excited I am to see him draw Wolverine. I can't say how excited I am to get rid of the microverse. <laughs> well. I hope it goes away. We'll see. And this story will definitely be carrying out of that. It'll be interesting to see because the premise of this series, or at least the first arc, is that Wolverine still doesn't have his healing factor and he's kind of stepping out of the limelight. So he's donning an apron and playing house? No, but he's going to get a more armored, bulletproof-type bulletproof uniform. 
Oh, help protect himself, and he's going to kind of pull back from the X Men. Oh, and kind of feel like he's. How is that gonna all play itself out? We'll see. I'm curious about a few things, and also there's hints, and we'll see how Cornell plays it out. Because he takes up a job working for a guy, like kind of security type job, and the guy might. So whoa, Wolverines are rent a cop? Uh, no, I think more of like a cleanup man. And I think we're going to find out this guy is more of a criminal than he's working for. So he's like a Don. Yeah, it has kind of, the the publicity kind of has a mafia tone to it. Wolverine, I got a deal for Which you. Which I have mixed feelings. I'm super excited about the art. Even though I haven't raged about all the issues, I'm still generally a Paul Cornell fan. It's interesting to see what he does with it. I do feel like the whole like, oh, woe is me. I'm going to pull back. You know, Wolverine kind of suffers from Batman syndrome sometimes. Batman syndrome? All right. Batman syndrome. All right. So the Batman syndrome is that every few years, Batman kind of pings back and forth between being like a guilt-ridden loner. Like he can't, he's tired of other people suffering for his decisions. He's got to do everything by himself. He's, he's dark and gritty by himself. And the other extreme that he goes to is that he completely embraces this great support network he has. He gets along great with Robin and Nightwing and Batgirl and it's everybody that all a nice big happy Bat family. And yes, there's still fights and stuff still goes wrong because it's comic books and you have conflict with bad guys or whatever. But the tone is that Batman is in a healthier place and he's embracing the people that love him and support him. And then it'll ping, then it'll cycle back to a time because people get tired of that. Like we gotta take Fat Man back to his roots, where he's grumpy and gritty and doesn't want anybody's help, and it's just him and Alfred. And then people get tired of that after a couple of years, and they're like, "He's too dark. Give him some friends." And so it's kind of just this perpetual cycle that Batman goes through between being like dark, gritty loner, and all right, I'm gonna help. Let's help. All I can think of is, how old is Alfred now? <laughs> In comic years, he's the same age he was when they started. <laughs> right? But Wolverine, to a lesser degree, kind of has some of those same cycles where he'll be like, everyone I know gets hurt. You know, I'm going to go be a rent I outlive everybody. Everybody dies. You know, I'm going to be by myself. I'm, I'm too wild. I can't control the animal all the time. I'm not, it's not good to be around me. And he goes off and he's kind of a self-loathing loner. And then he cycles back to times to where, like, like kind of what we've had the last few years, where he's like the headmaster at the Jean Grey school and, you know, embraces his role as a, not maybe the best role model, but is trying, you know, right. and is trying to be like a leader on the X-Men and stuff like that. My personal favorite Wolverine is the reluctant teammate. Kind of the mix of those two together. Like, you struggle. Like, I, I love Wolverine as a struggle. So, I guess, so that part's okay. I guess the point I'm coming around to is that I think if he goes too far to, like, running away from the X-Men, that I feel like we kind of have, have grown past that in his character development to a degree. To, like, completely just say, no one can help me. I'm going to go off completely by myself. And then at the same time, we'll, we'll see how the story goes. I do think it's interesting that this coincides with, because this is this is kind of going to be my actual main point. I know you're like, get to it already. Tick, tick. But also, 
canceling with no um, news of a relaunch is Wolverine and the X-Men will end with issue 42. Uh-oh. So we got three or four months left of Wolverine and the X-Men. And then bye-bye. And then bye-bye. And so the word on the street on that is that Jason Aaron has too much on his plate and that a lot of the same characters we originally intended for Wolverine and the X-Men and Amazing X-Men to be like companion books. Okay. Like Wolverine and the X-Men would focus on the school and Amazing X-Men would be kind of the same characters off on missions. Okay. But I guess he decided he didn't have enough time to do all the books he's doing and he really wanted to do Amazing, so Wolverine kind of got the axe. Or Wolverine and the X-Men. Now, I can't help but notice this kind of coincides with the other Wolverine launching. It makes me curious, though I don't really believe this for a second, but I'm hoping that Marvel will have the publishing courage that if Wolverine really does draw back, that they'll kind of pull him out of some of the team books for a few months. I don't think they will because Wolverine sells and they'll want to keep him in all the X-Men books and the Avenger books because people like to buy his books. I think if you really want to tell a story that really has impact in the solo series about him when drawing, he needs to not, he needs to kind of disappear for a while from the other books too. Or that story loses all of its emotional gravitas. And he would still be able to make guest spots. I'm not saying he can't be in the books. I'm just saying if they really want that story to really punch you in the face, like it possibly could if it's done well, it'll punch you in the face a lot harder if the same week you're not also reading a book where he's a good teammate on the Avengers, you know? Right. Because then you really have come down to where you have two different Wolverines. Because I already kind of feel like the Wolverine we read in Amazing X-Men number one, not even talking about the healing factor now, like the personality. Yeah. Like, it's a different Wolverine than what we got in Wolverine number 11. Yes. And the Wolverine in Amazing X-Men number one, which is after Battle of the Atoms, and we've established this, the healing factor is gone at this point. So, it's not like you can say, oh, he hasn't lost it yet. He has. But he's still, he's all, like, flirting with Storm. Right. And kind of being like, what? I took him on a field trip. <laughs> like, you know, kind of joking Jason Aaron stuff, which is right. cool and it's fine. It was like a completely different character than the guy we saw in Wolverine number 11. Now, the way I kind of reconciled that in my mind is that, okay, well, Amazing X-Men, yeah, he's lost his healing factor, but the storyline from Killable is probably over. So maybe by the end of Killable, he realizes, okay, I've lost my healing factor, but I, I know how to deal with it now. I'm right. coming to a resolution. And then we get the news that this next Wolverine volume is going to kind of him being retreated even further into his loneliness or guilt or whatever. So that really makes the Wolverine Amazing number one stand out like more of a sore thumb. So I don't know. I mean, it's all interesting. I'm going to, obviously I'm going to keep reading and talking about it on the podcast anyway, but definitely curious to see how it all plays out. Anyway, that said, please like us on Facebook, uh, leave an iTunes review, Follow us on Twitter, at SnickCast. Email questions, comments, theories, anything you might want to have read on the episode. When someone should take us up on that offer at some point, um, you can email uh, Yahoo, <laughs> Yahoo at SnickCast. SnickCast at Yahoo.com. Yeah, we did have an interesting thread on the Facebook where I posted the link to the article. 
about the new Wolverine series. Uh, me and uh, Matthew Guy um, had an interesting conversation. Or not. Yeah, it's kind of kicked it around back and forth. Feel free to get in, on, get in on stuff like that or create your own stuff for us to get in on. Of course, Pat's always posting cool pictures, a lot of old Wolverine stuff. So there's always that, too. And, of course, John Wilson put a thing about um, the end of Wolverine and the X-Men. He was very sad about it. And I will also greatly miss the book. I really enjoyed it. I feel like it's been one of the most consistently strong books. Um, and you can tell if you go back and listen to all my ratings on the podcast, they're all relatively high, except for one or two issues of like the whole run. So pretty good track record. So I'll definitely miss it. The only, I guess, possible positives is that most of the cast will show up in Amazing X-Men and they'll still be written by Jason Aaron. And there's a possibility that Marvel might actually uh, pull Wolverine back a little bit to match the new storyline. So, But I will still miss the book. But nothing we can do there. Anyway, we also want to take this time to say hi to the newest member of the Snicked family. We have a new like on the Facebook page. That is Joe Stuber. So welcome aboard, Joe. And we also have a lot of fun conversations on Twitter. So just, you know, sorry if I'm promoting too much, but I just want to get people to keep talking. I really enjoy that. All right. Um, I don't think I said the website. So if you want like show notes and stuff, that's uh, snickcast.podbean.com. But we're going to get out of here. We're going pretty long. So until next time, hugs and snicks. Bye. Bye.